All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance this is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? And Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 167 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy with you guys on this hot-ass Saturday in Kansas City. Man, we got a lot to talk, to, to talk about. We got a lot to get to. As you can imagine, if you've been following our work for any length of time, we have a lot of Chiefs content to get to, whether you're live streaming, whether you're podcasting, or whether you're YouTubing with us. We want to thank you so much for being here with us this week. 167 episodes, man. We are flying through this uh, this uh, crazy little thing that we started here, man. We've seen a lot of growth um, in our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. And speaking of YouTube, man, we would love for you guys to hit us up on our YouTube channel. We... we pretty much link it up everywhere we anything we post when it comes to our weekly content that we put here on the podcast side of things so if you have not already subscribed go ahead and hit that subscribe button guys we're trying to grow this thing as best as we can try to monetize some things here because like i said we've been putting in some work for last uh, three years now and we're trying to grow this thing trying to grow the brand with some merch with some other opportunities that we have on the horizon and obviously like as we always say that we need your guys' help that's how we make this thing happen in the beginning if it wasn't for you guys we wouldn't do this it wouldn't be any fun uh, i mean i know eddie would want to do it because he's the one that actually came up came up with the idea but i uh i don't think eddie would want to do it by himself he would get lonely without us us two uh wettos over here the twidwell clan so no but we, nevertheless man we're so happy to be with you guys today and we're so happy for you guys to be with us we have a great guest today a guy that you i know are very familiar with mr shaggy shane williams from the shaggy shane show he will be joining us momentarily to discuss his thoughts on the draft because if you guys remember we actually had him on the show the week before the draft and then uh, we obviously have the new schedule that just came out with the Chiefs. 22's uh, official NFL schedules are now released. We now know when and how the teams are playing, What's what, what primetime games. Obviously, there's going to be things that, that, that flex, uh, that are in flux. But nevertheless, we know the, the primary schedule for each and every NFL team, in particular the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. Speaking of that, that's actually where I want to start because there was... I don't want to say a great amount of panic amongst Chiefs fans that I was seeing on Twitter and on Facebook yesterday. I don't believe that was the case. I don't think that was the word that I would use to describe what I saw. But I do believe that there is this universal thought right now in the, in the, in the atmosphere about the Chiefs schedule and how... This is something that the Chiefs have yet to ever face when it comes to a great and insurmountable, if you will, schedule. And this is May. This is this is something that I think is 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 something we overreact on each and every year. No matter if it's for the optimistic side or the pessimistic side or the indifferent side, 
we, we look at this in May and we think, oh, okay, I know for sure what's going to happen. But as we always know, man, when training camp and OTAs and all these things start to to come about, we see teams have unforeseen and unfortunate injuries. We see ad, you know players get cut and another team adds them and they, they either spark the team or they bring the team down or they don't do anything for the team. There's still so much that has to happen before the season even begins for us to really understand what's going to happen or at least predict it. That's why what we do here at The Spoken, it's a golden rule around here. We don't make predictions until September, until that week one is, is on the horizon and we know that this is what the team is, this is what the rest of the league looks like, this is who and what they are going into the regular season. Hmm. So we're not, we are not going to make predictions today. I, I've been very tempted. I even put it on my Twitter account this week. I will not make predictions. I did it like the Bart Simpson when he's writing on the, the school board with the chalkboard. I will not make predictions. I will because I was tempted. I, I won't lie. I was very, very tempted to do so. Maybe because of more than some, I, I'm, I am extremely optimistic about this team moving into this season. And honestly with you guys, I'll be real. I I don't think the schedule changed that whatsoever. In fact, I think it reignited it or it it, it infused it even more so for me. And I'm going to explain why. When I saw the schedule, I noticed that the Chiefs currently have um, eight teams in the first eight weeks that had winning records from last season. And that's actually something that has never happened in NFL history. So automatically, you know that the Chiefs have an uphill battle. Not to mention the fact they're going to have... Anywhere from 8 to 15 new starters probably on the on this team as a whole. And that's a challenge for any team. No matter what experience you level you have, no matter what, what coaching staff you have, no matter what your quarterback situation is, that's going to be a challenge just up front. Is it a challenge that's going to take some teams down or make another team better for it? That's yet to be determined. But I'm going to tell you guys why I am overly optimistic about this Chiefs team, regardless of these facts. So, like I said, they have their first eight games against teams that had winning records last year. Not only that, the Chiefs will face nine teams total that made the playoffs last season. That's also absurd. Most times, the Chiefs face around five to six teams that made the playoffs the year before. This time, it's nine. But I'm going to tell you guys something, man. There's some facts out there that we need to accept when it comes to this team and why we need to feel very comfortable about this team moving forward into this tough schedule that at least looks tough at this point since 2018 i'm sorry yeah since 2017 week 17 of 2017 when patrick Mahomes made his first start the chiefs are 20 and 11 versus teams with a 500 or better record since 2018 the chiefs have faced 23 teams that made the playoffs and the chiefs are 15 and 8 against those teams and then people talk about the tyreek hill absence you know, not having that security blanket, not having that for Patrick Mahomes to go to on those big third longs. And we have talked about that on the show. Last season in particular, there were several instances where they, the Chiefs' offense were in a, was in a jam or they needed to make a big play to seal the victory on a third down, on a fourth down. Who'd they go to? Tyree Kill. So the Chiefs are going to have to figure out a way to overcome that. But see, I know I've posted this stat before, and I know I've spoken to many of you guys about this before when it comes to the absence of Tyreek and what Patrick Mahomes can, will, and will and is without Tyreek Hill. And as you guys know, but maybe some of you don't, without Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes' career, the Chiefs are 4-1. and one. And Patrick Mahomes in those games averages 374 passing yards with eight touchdowns, only one interception while completing over 64% of his passes with a 103 quarterback rating. Almost every single one of those numbers are either higher or just at Patrick Mahomes' career averages. And that's without Tyreek Hill. Now, it's only a five-game sample size. So that's not a lot to take away from. It's not small, though, either. It's not small, either. Yes, I 100% agree. 
The Chiefs' strength of schedule by each year since 2018. In 2018, it was 19th overall. In 2019, it was 6th overall. 2020 was 18th overall. And then last season in 2021, it was 11th overall. In that span, the Chiefs having a top 20 schedule each of the last four seasons and two in the top 11, they went 50-15 and 15 in the regular season with four consecutive AFC Championship home games and two Super Bowl appearances in that span. Tough schedules are nothing new to this team. Sure, the, the division's not been great. You know, they haven't had world beaters in their division on a, on a normal basis. But even the first season of Patrick Holmes as a starter, he had a 12-win Chargers team in this division. He's had really good defenses in the Broncos and the Chargers. Like I said, very talented rosters that were just missing a piece here and there. And in comparison to the great guys like Tom Brady, I think even with the fact there weren't world beaters in this division over the last four years, Patrick Mahomes has faced much greater competition in his division than Tom Brady ever did in the 19 years he spent in New England in the AFC least. And in the Andy Reid era... Especially in the Patrick Mahomes era when he took over in 2018, the Chiefs have been a team that has or exceeded preseason expectations. And I'm going to tell you why. In May of 2018, Odd Shark had the Chiefs win total over under set at 7.5, seven and a half games. They won 12 games that year and were an AFC Championship overtime loss away from the Super Bowl. May of 2019, Odd Shark had the Chiefs win total over under set at 10 and a half. They won 12 games and won the Super Bowl that year. May of 2020, Odd Shark had the Chiefs win total over under at 11.5. They won 14 games that year and made their second consecutive Super Bowl appearance. It wasn't until last September in 2021 that Odd Shark nailed the win total over under for the Chiefs with 12, and the Chiefs did not fail to reach that mark. And we're an AFC Championship overtime loss from the Super Bowl. Yeah. The Chiefs continue to exceed expectations. So it's difficult for me to think that they won't continue this trend, especially when I believe that right now, as currently constructed, they're a better team than they were a month ago. And I believe that they'll be a better team a month from now than they are right now. This team is built on the backs of those that, uh, that folks either gave up on or never expected to be a who and what they are. Think about it. Andy Reid was fired by the Eagles after one bad season. Patrick Mahomes was considered a reckless project coming into the 2017 draft. Travis Kelsey was a third-round tight end that was once a quarterback and was known as Jason Kelsey's brother. Matt Nagy was fired by the Bears even though he had a winning record and two playoff appearances with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback, who's about to be Kenny Pickett's backup. <laughs> Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach years ago, yet no NFL franchise will give him much his much-deserved opportunity. Spags was an out-of-work defensive coordinator and failed head coach. And Harrison, don't vax me, bro, Butker, was on the pa Panthers practice squad. This team thrives off, thrives off of doubt. They pay attention to it all and use it as fuel. Well, they're being doubted even more this year and probably more than ever. Which is why I'm expecting this team comprised of newer, younger, cheaper players led by the coaching staff, the best coaching staff in football, the best quarterback and tight end in football to rise above it all. The Chiefs weren't handed the hardest schedule in the NFL. The hardest schedule in the NFL was handed to the Chiefs. That's the way I look at it. That's the way I see it. Is this going to be a challenge for the Chiefs? Yes. 100%. Like I said, 
A bunch of new starters. A bunch of new proving ground for these players. Patrick Mahomes Volume 2, where it's no longer the run-it-back era. It's now the new era of figuring out what this team is. But with all these things to consider, with the tough-ass schedule, and this will be a tough schedule, no doubt about it. A lot of really good teams on this schedule. But we have to remember the flip side of this. These teams also have to face the Chiefs. Like, that's what I... I don't think that a lot of these national people are really putting into perspective. Is that although, yes, it will be a challenge for the Chiefs, I think it's a bigger challenge for the teams that have to take on the Chiefs than for the Chiefs themselves. Will we see some frustrating losses this year? Probably. I bet there's going to be some losses where, like, God damn it, what the hell were they doing? What the hell was Andy Reid thinking? Mm. Man, Patrick did not play to his best abilities. We, we do this every year. That happens at least once every year. But I, I, I think we sat here and we talked about this draft class. And we sat here and talked about this, te- the, this team's direction and the coaching staff and how they have three guys on this coaching staff alone that should be head coaches. And they're the three best coaches in this division. At least the most proven. And I, and I, I, have, I find it hard for me to see all these things and to, to relay all these facts and then be fearful of a tough schedule. This team has hosted the last four AFC championships. Will that last forever? No. But guys, Patrick Mahomes is in the prime of his career. Andy Reid is still a top-tier head coach, if not the best coach in football. And when you have that advantage each and every week, which the Chiefs will each and every week, it's hard for me to imagine that they don't have the favorable odds in each and every one of those games. So again, we're still months away from making our official predictions. And maybe I will have a change of heart and how I feel about this team moving forward. But I don't think so. I think right now as it stands, this team is still at the top of the AFC until somebody shows me that they can take that next step. Because I'm hearing that the Buffalo Bills are knocking on the door. They're knocking on the door. They've been knocking on the door for years, for a couple years now. Well, they lost the AFC Championship in 2020, and they lost in the Divisional Round in 2021, both times to the Chiefs. Mm. So are they knocking on the door, or are they banging their heads against the wall, the wall known as the Kansas City Chiefs? Something's knocking. There's something happening. And I don't know if I can just assume that the Bills are taking that next step when they still can't get over one common foe each and every year. Sure, they beat the crap out of the Chiefs last season in the regular season. Beat the shit. I was at a front row seat with Shaggy Shane, who ironically is our guest today. But what happened when it mattered the most? When there was 13 seconds left on the clock? When there was an overtime to still be had? Another overtime in Kansas City in the playoffs? What happened this time? When it mattered the most, when the lights were the brightest... Patrick Mahomes advanced, the Chiefs advanced, and Josh Allen and the Bills went home and made that depressing-ass little video about how close they were. Mm. So until these things happen and until I see a roster and a a, a coaching staff in in Kansas City that's not capable of overcoming the odds, I'm going to believe this team's going to overcome the odds. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. What when you saw the schedule open up, Trevor? You obviously don't have to give any predictions, but what yeah. was your takeaway? What have you been? What has the atmosphere been from you from other fans? Because I know you guys talk to people all the time on social media and in person. I I, I have a, when I first saw the, the the schedule, which is a juggernaut. Um, my my perspective is a little different though. I I see it from I see it from the other way. I see it from the opponents' aspect. From the, the opponents' uh, uh, perspective of when they see their schedule and they see the Chiefs on whichever week they got to play us. I see the divisional foes on the weeks that they have to play us, not the other way around. I don't see all these tough teams that we have to play. I see it from the perspective that all these good teams got to face us. You know what I mean? All these all these good teams got to mark us on their calendar because they know we're the team to beat still. No matter what anybody tells you, it's not the Bills. It's not the Bengals. The Bengals had their little run there. I'm not. We'll get into all the predictions and stuff as the year goes on and what we think of each team. But 
I look at it as, you know, all these teams have to overcome beating us. They have to overcome us because we've been the team, right? I mean, I know we failed and fell short last year after having that great game against the Bills, but it's still the Chiefs, man. Like, I know we don't have Tyreek Hill, but we're still the Chiefs. It's still Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and some of these young up-and-coming guys that might, you know, impact this offense in a big way. Um, who knows what Juju is going to be in this offense? Who knows if Clyde can take this next step? Who knows what a lot of these guys – I know we have a lot of young, unproven commodities added to this team, but a lot of attitude has been added to this defense. Um, things could definitely change quick in a good way or a bad way. Things could fall flat and we could – you know, not be as good as we thought we were going to be this year. I have high hopes, though. I really think this team is going to be a, a really good team, but in a different way, more complete, more well-rounded, uh, less rough around the edges uh, as we have been in some past seasons. Um, but I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't fear any team on this schedule. I really don't. I think we have the advantage, I, and that's not even my homer. It's not a homer take. I'm never that homer guy. I'm always they're all. I mean. I think the biggest game, obviously, that jumped off the, the page when I first saw the schedule was the Thursday night home, home opener against the Chargers. That game right there can set the tone for the entire season. If we go on there, let me look at, what was it, tw- tw- the year we won the Super Bowl, 2019, we went, we went to an Arrowhead and mollywhopped them when they came into our house, the home opener. Um, I think that was the game that Richard Sherman, or not Richard Sherman, um, um, Shermanator had that, that wheel route play to the house this i think the games like that is what can set the tone so that game is obviously the one i'm looking forward to the most to kind of kick off our you know our um defending our home and uh, uh getting that that go that going and setting the, tr- the the tone for the division and everything like that so i think that one excites me the most as as what i'm as what i'm looking at right now but as far as the schedule i mean it is it is a tough there's a lot of tough teams but we're a tough team you know and those teams are circling us on their calendars and on their schedules so that's how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at like these teams have to face us, not us having to face these tough teams. You know what I mean? Because I think we're the toughest of the tough teams still, in my mind. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to see you know how Patrick Mahomes uh, adjusts to new. You know, uh, there's going to be a, not a new system, but there's going to just be it's going to be different, man. Without the dynamic of Tyreek Hill and what we're used to and the safety blanket that uh, that he is and was, um, I'm excited. Like I, I'm a guy that likes challenges. You know, we're right now we're standing in front of a mountain. You know, we're we're packing our gear, we're getting ready to take this thing on and go. You know, free climb this <laughs> this juggernaut of a schedule. Uh, but I, I I only envision us getting to the top of this mountain. You know what I mean? So I only I don't envision us losing. Are we going to slip? And there's going to be some rocks that loose rocks that you know slip our feet out from when we're trying to you know climb this 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 mountain. Sure, but I mean I think there's going to I think I definitely only only envision us climbing and conquering this mountain and getting to the top. Um, and as, as all Chiefs fans should, I believe. Obviously, you got to be real with yourself. There's going to be some losses in, the, in this schedule. We're not going to beat everybody. Um, but it starts with our division. That's why I'm so excited with this, the, for this Thursday night game against the Chargers to open the, 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 the home opener there. I think that's a huge game to set the tone and get the ball rolling. Um, you know, And that's the first step of the mountain to me is conquering the Chargers because they're going to be a tough match. Um, you know they've made their moves this offseason. We made ours. Um, so yeah, man, this this it's gonna be. We have a lot of time to discuss this this schedule. Uh, we have a lot of time to discuss these teams, uh, especially within the division. And then facing the Super Bowl champs this year is a big one as well. That's a, gonna be an exciting one. Getting you know, and then obviously the Tom Brady Buccaneers uh, getting that chance. I think week three uh, against them is gonna be a fun one. So 
I just look at it as an exciting thing, man. I'm not intimidated at all in any way. This is just an exciting. I mean, we're gonna have a lot of good games against a lot of good teams. You know what I mean? So that's that's the main thing for me. I think the key word is just excitement. So looking forward to it. I'm excited for this for this for this year. Just to start the season off against Arizona in, mm. in Glendale, Arizona. That's to me. That's that's that. Obviously, that's where the season starts. But that's no D That's where we can see what the Chiefs can actually bring to the table. Because obviously, we all know that the Cardinals can be competitive. Can be, they showed it last year throughout the regular season. Obviously, they failed in the playoffs, but throughout the whole season, they were they were consistent. Uh, so. It's a great way to start this season, especially with the quarterback that's very mobile, mm-hmm. uh, especially, obviously, the way the league is going now. Uh, I want to see how this defense can adjust to, to mobile quarterbacks, to quick quarterbacks. Can our, can our defense adjust to their speed? Obviously, we have a, a younger defense, so therefore, I think we can match very well with a, a mobile quarterback this season. So. I'm really excited to see what can what can this defense do against mobile quarterbacks and opening the season against Arizona. It, it's it's a great way to to kind of show us a little bit of what that can be throughout the season. Obviously, it's game one, yeah. So there's still gonna be a lot of iffies and stuff like that, but it can show a lot of promise. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the uh, Week Four game against the Bucks. Obviously, we're playing Tom Brady earlier this this season than we did couple seasons ago um, so it's a great way to to kind of see where our team stands uh are we can competitive against uh, a, a great quarterback so i'm excited about that obviously i'm excited about the season opener with the chargers but i, I see that very competitive so I, like i said it's very early for prediction so I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't so i'm excited for that matchup but i'm more excited about the bucks matchup the colts matchup the arizona cardinals matchup it kind of gives us a, a a broader broader for me. It gives me a a, a broader uh, view of what this team can be as the season progresses. And mm. those being those those three teams being in the first four weeks of football, it it, it could be a blessing for the Chiefs because it, it's going to give us a lot a lot of fucking into. Uh, I think it's I think it's important for us to start hot. Yes, I think that's that's so, definitely important for yeah, these young especially guys. Especially for for I mean we're we're starting with four great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, he's he's a good quarterback. Then you go okay. and, and then you come and play with, uh, uh, fuck, uh, Justin uh, Herbert. Herbert. Yeah, yeah. Here in uh, Arrowhead, and then you go and play uh, Matt Ryan, and then you play Tom Brady in the first four weeks. Man, yep. Talk about tough quarterbacks. So I can I, I would love to see what this defense, if what we built in this defense can sustain what those guys can do to you. Yeah, three of the first four games are obviously on the road. Um, not just, again, with all winning records. The Chiefs only have two noon games in the first nine weeks of, of the season. And we have a mid, mid-year. Or, sorry, one in the Mid-season bye, too. We yeah, have a week eight, eight bye. Week, a week eight bye. The Chiefs like have had that. at least a week ten bye. I actually yeah. like it later in the year, personally, because that gives you an opportunity to rest later in the season. Yeah. Uh, I would prefer that. But the week eight is a lot better than some teams where I see are like getting week six, week seven. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a week eight than that, for sure. But like I said, you have three, three road games in the first month. Uh, all against worthy opponents with good quarterbacks, and we know that something this team struggled with badly last season is when they faced top-tier or above-average quarterbacks. They usually got smoked outside of the mm-hmm. Dak Prescott game. Yeah. They usually got smoked, and I think that's another reason why Brett Veach said, the hell with this secondary. We're scrapping it, and we're starting over with much more athletic younger guys that are trying to prove themselves in this league, which is another reason to be excited. Also, the fact that I think that something you both kind of 
teetered on but didn't really fully lean into it that I want to kind of lean into right now is also the fact that if you look at this schedule, not only is there context to each and every matchup to favor the Chiefs, but all the teams that are out here trying to, especially on the AFC side of things, the pressure's on these teams, not the Chiefs. Yeah, that was my... Uh, yeah, that was... I mean, I know that's what you were saying, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to go into detail here. Think about this. Okay, first of all, the Arizona game, the Cardinals game at, the, at week one. We don't even know if Kyler Murray's going to be playing. We, we have no idea. D-Hop. And we know that D-Hop's not yeah. playing. They lost Chandler Jones. They Brown. lost Christian Kirk, which isn't a great player, but he was a hell of a, a home run hitting type of player, which Wait. Kyler Murray loved to throw to. Hollywood Brown's Hollywood Brown, yeah, exactly. He's Brown's new to the, he, he's new yep. to the team. He's, I don't think he's a wide receiver one, but he's a good player. He's a but without athlete. D-Hop, that's a humongous loss. We saw how they played without D-Hop last season. They won some games, but they still weren't the, the offense we knew them to be. J.J. Watt's another year older. For me, that that... that <laughs> That team has more questions than answers, so I'm just gonna leave that one to the side. But you look at the Chargers. He's we making predictions. No, I'm, I'm not even making the predictions. <laughs> no Chandler yet. Jones there's, either. But yeah. the, these are just the facts. These are just the facts. Yeah. So I actually love the fact that Chiefs get that game week one. Yeah. You know what I mean? An opportunity to play indoors. There'll probably be a ton of Chiefs fans there because Chiefs fans travel well, especially towards the West. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a that's a great opportunity for the Chiefs and their young guys to get integrated, and then they step right into it. You have two straight AFC games. And it's against a team, like you said, the Chargers on a short week. Who, all the way, By the way, the Chargers will have a short week going to that game. And it's a road game for the Chargers. And think about the pressure going into the season. Because after the season, the Chargers are going to have to pay Justin Herbert. That's when his extension can kick in. Mm-hmm. They can pay him a long-term deal. They have so many new acquisitions when it comes to the defense, when it comes to these aging veterans they added to. J.C. Jackson obviously a great acquisition. But you're stepping into a realm of, okay, now you got to win. You guys were one win last season away from making the playoffs. It's all up to you one now time. to make it Brand happen. Yeah, yeah, Contract year for uh, Or a tie. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You're correct. It's, 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 it's good, it good, point, good point. Good point. Good <laughs> point. Like Justin Herbert even said on the sidelines, I've never wanted a tie more, more badly in my life. Yeah. Well, you didn't get that because Brandon Staley doesn't know how, to, know how to not go down on fourth downs yeah, for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They literally walked the batter in. Well, and then Frank Reich is on a hot seat at, at best with, with uh, Jim Irsay in Indianapolis. Think True. about it. He just uh, put yeah. all that neck, his neck on the line for Carson Wentz. That failed abruptly and horrifically. Goes against a soon-to-be 37-year-old quarterback in Matt Ryan, who's still good. I, I would say, I, I, to be honest with you, I think Matt Ryan's a, a more of an upgrade to Carson Wentz than... Yeah, yeah I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. My point is that Frank right now is having to basically coach for his job, and he's yeah. relying on a very aging, rapidly quarterback in Matt Ryan to come in here year one and change everything. And I just don't know if Matt Ryan's still that guy. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, I'll give him kudos. Though. He, he identified the, the moment to cut bait, and he cut he got rid of Carson Wentz after one season. I don't think he had much yeah. of a choice, though. Uh, I, for sure, but it's hard to but, accept uh, an L sure like a that. Lot of, like Trubisky. <laughs> Trubisky, we all knew, first season, yeah. he was like, yeah, that's not it. And they yeah. kept him for... A, a little bit longer than Matt Nagy lost his job because of yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, look I, at the look at the Brown situation. You know what yeah. I mean, too. So like, I, I think Carson, uh, him getting rid of Carson Wentz, kind of like, okay, we're not going to win with him. It, it's done and over. It, it, it took some balls to do that. You know? Absolutely. And then you and then you go, obviously go to Tampa, which by the way, why the fuck can we get the the, the Bucks to come to Kansas City? What, <laughs> what's up with that? Like back to back games or three three straight games of playing the Buccaneers at their place? I just say hey, I don't think the Chiefs players mind going to Tampa. going to Florida. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Forty-five-year-old quarterback who's already got himself a long-term deal with Fox to be an analyst. Mm. They have an aging defense now, already a horrific secondary. They have JPP and uh, Dominican Sue, Sue won't, probably won't be there. Yeah, probably won't be. Uh, there. Their offensive line has taken a massive hit this offseason with Alex Capagon. Jansen's another year older. I, I mean, Tristan 
Worf's coming off a big injury. There's there's a lot of things for the Buccaneers to take on. Also, the fact they switch coaches. Todd Bowles, a defensive-minded head coach, gives Tom Brady and, and, and uh, uh, Byron Leftwich the freedom to run their offense the way they want to. Yeah. But Chris Godwin, we don't know when he's coming back. There's a lot of questions for that offense. They don't have Rojo anymore. I know he wasn't a great fit, but he was a, he was depth piece. Was it their corners? Or we have or Rojo. They're they're. Yeah, huh? secondary oh, their secondary is terrible. Their yeah, secondary is terrible. I don't think they've gotten any better. Yeah. Then you have the Titans coming off the bye week. Or I'm yeah. sorry, no, no, no I'm just we're coming out. We're coming out. Way ahead, way ahead. Okay, so my screen just glitched on me. Okay, so then, then and then their Chiefs are hosting the Raiders, uh-huh. a team the Chiefs own every single uh, season. This is this is a fun. That, that's yeah. always a fun matchup at and home. It's they're gonna, they're gonna bring home. it, man. Yeah, I mean, Devontae is gonna be out there. They're gonna bring it. So we got to prepare for that. But you gotta think again. It's. Derek I wonder. Carr. I wonder if Derek Carr is going to have that skunk on his head like he did in the draft when he's hanging out with Ice Cube and awkwardly like. Hey, they played the us back. well last year too. Well, I'm, I'm it giving... was above fifty to sixty degrees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is a cold game. I'd definitely be a it's far another more, October game and far more October confident. Game, so it'll, it'll be seventy-five, eighty degrees. It'll be seventy-five, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Monday night. It's Monday be, night. So it's, it's October tenth, though. It's still going to be warm out there. It's starting to be a little bit cool in the night. You know, and then and then the Chiefs have back-to-back home games. They face the Buffalo Bills. And I, I, I want to stay right here on this one because this is almost the exact same time of the year that the Chiefs faced the Bills last season at Arrowhead, mm-hmm. and when they, and they came in here and whooped that ass. Now, there's a significant difference between this Chiefs roster that game and this game. There's also some differences for the for the Bills as well. No more Cole Beasley. You know they don't have they don't have the the same defense they're going to have next year. And I think Elam will be a good cornerback. I think he'll be a solid cornerback. They really did like him, but they, we all know they wanted McDuffie, and the Chiefs jumped ahead, and we saw the video. Yeah, but. I, this is a game that I think is a pressure cooker for the Bills. Because even if they were to win this game, I don't think it's going to satisfy them. Because it didn't satisfy them last season. You heard Josh Allen in the press after they whooped the shit out of the Chiefs by 18 points. They said, oh, this is just a regular season win. And I do believe them because we knew that they were looking at the big picture because they knew more than likely they were going to face the Chiefs in the playoffs again. And what happened? They did. And it was back in Arrowhead. This game is a precursor of what could potentially be round three. But also, look at the look at the Bills moving forward. Okay, Sean McDermott, really good head coach, but is two and three in the playoffs in his career, right? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be start. There's starting to be a little bit of a hot there too about can he get the job done as a defensive minded head coach? We know the league is moving towards offensive minded head coaching, right? And then Josh Allen, this is his final season being a cheap quarterback. After this season, his cap hits over $40 million. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to start getting creative about how they're going to get guys back. They lost Jerry Hughes, one of their best pass rushers this offseason, went to the Texans. Cole Beasley's, yeah, he's, he was a hell of a slot receiver for them. Whether we, you know, he's kind of an odd dude or not, he's he was, still a good yeah, football player. In and player. out last year with injuries. Yes, yeah. exactly. So my point, and they just paid I, Stephon Diggs a ton of money. I was going to say, they got Diggs, but. Yeah. Look at what the Chiefs have done in the playoffs. Two digs. Right. We have the mental edge here. So, for so sure. there's a lot of. So, like, when we talk about, you know, oh, the Chiefs got to face the Bills again. No. To me, it's the Bills got to face the Chiefs again. That's hot. Because now the pressure is on them more than it's ever been. Because the last couple years, the Bills have been playing with house money. Because in 2020, no one expected them to get the AFC Championship except me. Um, and, 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 and then in 2021 comes around, people were picking them. But it was still this, yeah, but the Chiefs, man, they're still at the top. Like, Patrick Mahomes, it's his to lose. You know, so so now that they didn't even get back to the AFC Championship, there's that much more pressure for the Bills to finally get to the Super Bowl. That's why I said, are they knocking the door or are they banging their heads against the wall? Yeah. That's the question to ask here. Are they really going to get past the Chiefs? Because we saw Michael Jordan, as great as he was, couldn't get past Bird and the Celtics, right? As great as he was, for years couldn't get past the Pistons. There's just some teams that have teams' numbers, man. It just happens. And that's what happens. People think that Tom Brady was much better than Peyton Manning or, or just owned him. That's not true. In AFC Championship appearances against each other, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning went 3-1 and one against Tom Brady. 3-1. Yeah. and one. 
So some guys just have some guys' numbers when it matters the most. Well, and, and there's a coaching edge to there too. Significant. Where anybody that comes from Andy Reid's coaching tree, he, which McDermott is one of those guys, tends to Andy Reid tends to have an edge on all those guys because he knows them very well. They're his understudies, that's, you know, yeah, all these crazy. things. It's just a, he he's no he's always found ways to beat Harbaugh. Granted, Harbaugh's got him a couple times as well. Uh, but one time, oh yeah, that was the weirdest freaking game ever. There was like 13 turnovers combined in that game. Yeah. Clyde um, fumbled it on the final. Yeah, drive. yeah, we had the game. Driving, we had the yeah. game. It was we an ugly game. game. We, we actually didn't deserve to win that game in my mind. That was a terrible game. But either way, he nine times out of ten, Andy Reid gets the edge on on you know facing any of his understudies. So there's that edge as well. And I think this the mental side of it. Them failing against us so many times is can can inspire teams for sure, but it also that that no matter how tough mentally you are, that is going to linger in the back of your yeah. head that you do not want to fail again. And thinking about it over and over again can definitely cause an over obsession of doing that, and it can cause that to happen yeah. again. You're the mighty ducks. You'll be okay. The mighty ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice reference, Eddie. And then, they, then the Chiefs go to San Francisco, a team that they're very well informed of, playing them in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Mm. And, uh, you know, this will be a different San Francisco team, though, because Trey Lance will be the starting quarterback. At least that's what it looks like at this point. It's, it, it's looking like Jimmy G to I, me. Here's the problem. I don't think I, believe it, in Trey Lance I, I think that the, the Niners would be absolute morons to do that because then you're wasting another year of the rookie deal He's Trey Lance. He's still there. Three first-round picks. So Baker Mayfield's still with the Browns. I'm not it's all about guaranteed money. That's what they didn't really bring in Deshaun. Yet. They brought in Deshaun Watson. I I get it. But my point situation. though is that Jimmy G hasn't been moved yet because the Niners still want to trade him. They don't want to cut him and eat the money they have. So I've heard much things about, about Trey Lance dollars. possibly getting moved. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. I've heard. But I've let's, heard. Let, let's say the Niners have Trey Lance as the quarterback. There's a lot of mystery there because yeah. we don't know what he's gonna be. I think uh, they should go with Trey Lance. I we, think. Nah, I we think, don't know I think if George Kittle's gonna be healthy by this point because he yeah. always seems to be dealing with some nagging injury. I'm not even trying. To be, I'm just being real. Nick Bosa is he gonna be? Is he gonna be the same dominant species we saw him last year? Because he had an incredible. They always find ways to win games though. They always do. And so this is. A game that I think can actually and be they the get first hot late too. I hate yeah. to say this, guys, but this is the one Debo's game still there. coming into this coming into this game outside of the Cardinals game. I think this is that one game and so far on their schedule where it's a team's going to come in playing loose against the Chiefs because the Raiders, the Bucks, the Colts, the Chargers, the Bills—they're all going to play knowing how much how big of a significance this game is for them because the majority of those teams are AFC teams and Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes it's always going to be a big time game it's everyone's going to be paying attention mm-hmm. so everyone's going to be playing with a little bit of a lump in their throat this is the game i think the niners are looking at this one going we're going to have a we're going to have a, essentially a rookie quarterback playing we're figuring out who this team is. It's still fairly early in the season. It's only about week five. I'm sorry, week seven. So they're still trying to figure their way out. I think they're going to play loose in this game, which could be dangerous. Like you said, Trevor, this could be a team that just figure out a way, figure, figures out a way to win a, a big game against a big opponent. And you know everyone's going to be paying attention. It's a 325 game, so the entire West Coast and Midwest are going to be watching this one. It's going to be fun to watch that one. The Chiefs have a bye week in week eight. Again, pretty early, but we'll take it. They have a home game against the Titans. Now, this team, to me... Is going to be one of the most interesting teams to predict, yep. and the reason why, and not that they're never not because Coming they're always like a nine and seven team, so it's always like a vanilla it's team. That division too. Derrick Henry will be twenty nine years old this year, mm-hmm. okay, and he just missed almost all of last season. No AJ Brown, so we have no idea what Derrick Henry is going to be this season. You guys know I'm a Derrick Henry freak. I love me some Derrick John Henry. Sure. AJ Brown's gone. Thank you, Trevor, for saying that. They got Traylon Burks, who should be a good receiver, almost the exact same size as AJ Brown, but we don't know what he'll be. Ryan Tannehill, essentially in his last year of his deal, he's got over forty million dollars owed to him this year, which is the only reason why the Titans kept him because he absolutely shit his pants in the playoffs last year against the Bengals and was the Jesus. single reason why the Bengals advanced. Should have won that game. So we have no idea what kind of pressure Tyron, Ty, Ryan Tannehill is going to be under and how well he'll play. 
Their offensive line is shaky at best. We don't know how good their defense is going to be this year because they lost guys on their defensive line. Their secondary is atrocious. Mm. So there's, this is one of those games where the Chiefs could probably go in there and, and, and get some revenge because last season, Titans beat the shit out of the Chiefs 27-3. to Well, no one wants to play Andy Reid coming off a bye. <laughs> and he's one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach, coming off a bye record-wise. lost, what, once or twice? I think twice in his career after coming off a bye, right? Right. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Two, yeah. It's like two or three times, honestly, but he's won like 90% of the yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think he has the best record ever coming off a bye. Another back to back home games off the bye, which I really do like for the Chiefs. Back to back home games after the bye. And this one is against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, people just assume, like, oh, this is going to be a blowout, this, this, this. And it could be. It very well could be. But this team's going to be fun to watch because Doug Peterson's a hell of a coach. Of I think he'll get this team young, this young team motivated. There'll be a lot of inexperience and naivety to this team, so they'll probably lose very some bad athletic games. Team. But they won't be stupid this season like yeah. they were. Like, with Urban Meyer. They will have direction. They will have leadership. So I want to see the Chiefs take this game seriously. It'd be cool to see Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, uh, the, my guy that I love very deeply, and honestly, Josh Allen, that, the edge rusher, Aiden Hutchinson. How good is he going to be for the... I'm, I'm sorry, Trayvon Walker. I said Aiden yeah, yeah. Hutchinson. I just assumed the Lions, or the Lions <laughs> didn't get him because it was a common-sense move to take him first overall. Trayvon Walker, how good is he going to be for that defensive line? If he's good, that defensive line is going to be nasty for that team. Yeah. Um, and then we have the, the Chiefs travel to L.A. to go to the Chargers again. The pressure, let's say the Chiefs were to win that first game in Thursday How night. How big this game could be. <laughs> oh, my God. If they're trailing the Chiefs by a single game, and now it's like starting to become crunch time, it's November 20th, about to be that Thanksgiving time where things really start to kick in. Yeah. How much pressure is going to be on the Chargers in this one, especially if the Chiefs were to take that first game? A lot of pressure on that Chargers team, again, who's 15-17 and 17 in the Justin Herbert era. Brandon Staley, still not a proven commodity, a head coach. Is Austin Eckler going to be healthy? Is Mike Williams going to be healthy? Is Keenan Allen going to be healthy? Is Derwin James going to be healthy? Is Khalil Mack going to be healthy? Is Joey Boza going to be healthy? All these questions for this team. More than likely, half those guys will be out at this point of the season, and they have to try to beat the Chiefs at least once for a tiebreaker hopeful. Mm. So there's that. And then they go. Then the Chiefs uh, go to stay in L.A. and face the uh, Super Bowl champions, L.A. Rams. Now, this is the game. I know that matchup-wise is the most exciting game possible for the Chiefs. But here's the other thing we have to remember for the Rams. Will they have a Super Bowl hangover? Sean McVay finally getting his Super Bowl championship. There was talks about whether he'd be a coach this season or not. I always believed he was going to be. I think he was using that for leverage for contractual obligations. Matthew Stafford, still to me an elite quarterback. I think he's going to continue to be this Aaron year. Aaron Donald's debating retirement. There, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, again, this, this Rams team, like how certain are we about this team moving forward? Yeah. I know everyone's just penciling them back in the Super Bowl. And if they stay full tilt... If they just come back with the same mentality they had last season, they probably will get back to the Super Bowl because they're that great and the NFC is that wide open. But do we know for certain about this team? Because I guess, like Trevor just said, their best player overall was not wanting to come back to play football, or at least was considered. And usually when guys are one foot out the door, they're almost all the way out the door. That's usually how it goes. And Matt Stafford will be good enough in this offense, but they did lose Robert Woods earlier in the year last year, and they won't have him at all this year because he got traded to the Titans. OBJ. Will know. he be returning and yeah. when? You know, that's the question. Will he this, be a chief? This could know. this could be the time of the year where he finally comes back. Because it usually takes eight to twelve months for you to come back from an ACL. Mm-hmm. This would be around eight to twelve months since he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl. So Will OBJ be good enough? Is Cooper Cup going to replicate what he just did, which is the greatest season we've ever seen a wide receiver have? Yep. You know, there's just a lot of things for the Rams to consider here, and it's an arrowhead. This is, they don't have the reliance of of, of uh, going because I said they stayed in LA, but they actually come back home to play the Rams in here at home at Arrowhead. So there's this is gonna be a fun fucking game, man. I think this is gonna be a good one. But again, the Rams this late in the season, will they say still stay hungry, still have that drive to try to repeat themselves as champions? That's a good question mm. to have. Go ahead, you guys have anything? To add to I was that? I was gonna say so looking at all these games so far, heading into this next season, like what is your 
Because a lot of people are excited about what the offense is going to look like. No Tyreek, the changes there. For me personally, what makes or breaks this season is how this this defense develops. 100% agree. I, 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 For me, like we have so many new names, so many young guys, and we have the veterans like Frank Clark and Chris Jones who are so, supposed to be the pillars. You know, we brought in Justin Reed, who's semi-veteran guy. He's been in the league for a few years. He's been a good, solid player, but he's been on a trash team. Now he has an opportunity to lead that safety room and alongside Juan Thornhill, supposedly supposed to be those two pillars in the, for the safeties there. Um, a lot of young cornerbacks, a lot of young safeties, a lot of young guys in this in this you know secondary. Um, obviously, Legarius Need being one of the captains, looking like probably for this defense as well. One of the guys that you know knows this defense well at this point. Um, so a lot of new names. The linebacker core is young, but violent, <coughs> violent and aggressive, and a lot of attitude on this young, these young guys, this young core. I'm very excited about it, um, but I think if this defense fails and it's not as good as we need it to be, that can be our season right there. I know, I, not to take away from anything we all know Patrick Mahomes is, but he's also dealing with some, you know, you know, losing his number one guy. You know, that's a big thing for a quarterback. So I think the main thing for this season, looking at all those games and these tough offenses and this great quarterback play we're going to have to go against. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes can throw for 5,000 and 15. Our defense could, you know, make or break us still. I'll, I'll answer your question. Um, it's, it's by far the secondary. It's by far the defense yeah. because we've seen it before. When the Chiefs have a top 10 defense, they've made the Super Bowl. In 2019, they had the seventh ranked defense, won the Super Bowl. Mm. In, 20, in 2020, they had the eighth ranked defense, made the Super Bowl. The only reason they didn't win the Super Bowl is because their offensive line was completely depleted. That's yeah. the single reason. So you give Patrick Holmes a top ten defense, Trevor, like you said, and I'll go. I'll go a step further. I'll make a. I'll make a prediction right now. I'll break my own rule. I'll make my. I'll make. I'll, I will break my own rule to, to help you help your point, Trevor, because I, I I believe in it that much. Don't do it. If the Chiefs, the Chiefs finished 29th in sacks last season. Yeah. If the Chiefs finish in the top fifteen in sacks this year, they will be back in the Super Bowl. You know why? Because they will have a top ten defense if they're top fifteen in sacks. Because that means the point differential is going to go way down. That means their scoring average, all those things are going to go way down. Scoring defense is going to go way down if they're top Top 15 in sacks. So I'll make that prediction right now. The Chiefs are top 15 in sacks this season. They go down 14 spots because they were in the AFC Championship with the third worst pass rush in yeah. football. If they go down 14 spots, that team is 100% in the Super Bowl because to that point, I am that confident that this offense is going to be just fine. They will be a top five offense, in my opinion. They got plenty of weapons, and as long as you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid working together, and it goes further and further along, because we know Andy Reid or uh, Pat, uh, uh, Tom Brady and Belichick, as the, the years went on, they became that much more familiar with each other, knew what each other wanted out of the out of the game. So another year with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid together, adding back Matt Nagy is only going to add more to this team and more versatility. And and I talked about how exciting it is that they kind of get out of the Tyreek Hill umbrella. Not that, obviously, I would love to have Tyreek Hill still, but now it adds more fire and of a challenge to the Chiefs to get better at offense and not so much rely on, all right, it's third and six. got to go to Tyreek Hill or we have to go to Travis Kelsey. And to that point, a kill in a narrative, and then we're going to get back to the schedule before we have our guy uh, Shaggy Shane on. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes in his career has thrown 88 touchdowns to guys not named Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. That's 49% of his career touchdowns. So almost 50% of the time he's thrown a touchdown to guys that are not his two most prolific stars. So that's got to excite all of you guys because I think that that's, that's something we're looking at now. Adding Juju Smith-Schuster, MBS, Sky Moore, those, those weapons to the equation. Yeah. 49% of his touchdowns have already gone to guys like Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle who 
are nowhere near the talent level of Juju Smith-Schuster or Sky Moore. Right. So you're adding these guys to replace those other guys, and you still keep Travis Kelsey, who is going to, I think, have another amazing season, barring injuries or anything of that concern. Vol- yeah, volume alone. All gonna... of a sudden, you're still looking at, at, at Patrick Holmes not potentially missing a step. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to add to what you're saying, that this offense is going to be just fine. I'm not worried about the offense at all. Yeah. They're going to figure this shit out. But the defense, Trevor, to your point, if they're good, borderline great, yeah. This team is still the best team in the AFC. I'll make that prediction right now. I know I broke my own rule, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Bare minimum, we're going to need them to be at least really good because, I mean, all these quarterbacks that we're going against, we can't expect Patrick Mahomes to be Superman every single week. You know, we don't want 2018 all over again. That's not what we want. So that's that's my biggest thing. Just looking at my first look at the schedule, man, I was like, all right, Patrick Mahomes is going to duel with a lot of great quarterbacks. Even just within this division, is going to be tough and a challenge. But this defense has got to step up. This defense has got to be ready to go. Yeah. And it's a lot to ask. It's a tall task for a lot of these young guys. But I think we drafted really well. We got a lot of guys that are day ones, possibly. I really do. I think the secondary is going to be aggressive. And that's that, my main that, thing. That's why I like how we open against the Cardinals. Because I, I think that's a perfect opponent. Just like you said, I mean, we still don't know the what they are. Right. But, uh, like I said, if, if Kyler Murray is to play... And he's going to start for the Cardinals. It gives this defense a great start to to those mobile quarterbacks to to get them familiar with that deep line kind of stuff. Yes, can the yeah. defensive line put the pressure in those mobile quarterbacks? So it's a great great way to start the season. And like I said, it can give us a little sneak peek of what it could potentially be, or what can these uh, uh, defense defensive players can 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 produce out on the field against a mobile quarterback. So. I'm really excited for that. Hell yeah! And then and then the Chiefs obviously get their opportunity for revenge going back to Cincinnati on December fourth. This will be another three twenty five game three twenty five game. And again, guys, I'm not making this up. We're I think I'm in week nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, week thirteen. And to this point of the season, the Chiefs only had two noon games. Like everybody mm. wants to watch the Chiefs, man. Yeah. This is for certain now. Like they are the prime time spot. Everybody wants to see them. And this will be a big game for both these franchises because. The Bengals, to me, have a ton to prove. Like you said earlier, Trevor, this is a season where the Bengals, okay, what's act two? You guys got to the Super Bowl. A lot went right for you guys. You didn't play your best, and the AFC just shot themselves in the foot throughout the entire process. Raiders had an opportunity to beat you. Derek Carr throws a pick in the end zone. The Titans had multiple opportunities. Sacked Joe Burrow nine times. Tannehill throws three picks. uh, The Chiefs. Nothing can go wrong for the Chiefs in the first half. All of a sudden, they forget how to play offense, and their defense can't make the pivotal plays in that overtime game, and then they, they win that game in a horrific, horrific fashion. I can't imagine that's going to happen again, but if the Bengals get better, it may not matter. Yeah. If Joe Burrow takes another step and this team's even better than oh, they're next, gonna be a good team. then all of a sudden it may not matter how good the AFC is. Yeah. Maybe they just go back to it. Maybe they just go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it's kind of like the, 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 the hungover for the Super Bowl champs. Yeah. It's kind of like for the losers. Once the losers lose the Super Bowl, it's a fair point. It it, uh, it, it fucks with them mentally. Yeah, and, it's a fair uh, point. I mean, look at the Chiefs. Though we we did make it back to the AFC Championship, this previous season was not easy for the Chiefs, and we saw it against uh, uh, other teams who've lost in Super Bowls. When they lose the Super Bowl, the next year they either go all the way down or yeah. they stayed mid. So there's it, science to that. Yes. That's a, that's a that's a. You're, you, the ultimate dopamine hit for any athlete is to win a championship. Exactly. So a lot of times when you win it, that's when the drop-off can be significant. But a lot of, typically athletes respond better to losses. That's why like even Patrick Mahomes has said he's learned a lot more from losses than he has wins. That's true. It's but, true. Yeah, and the, but in the NFL, like if you see years mm. past the losers go on for the next year, go on to either miss the playoffs, 
go get a top pick or I think the Bengals are far too talented to, to be all, all all time just fall off and miss the playoffs. That's that's tough for me to believe. I think they'll be a good team. The problem though is that to to Eddie's point though, that AFC North is not going to be as bad as it was last season. I, I that, still, we got Jackson coming back. The Browns fell down big time when they had a bunch of injuries. The Ravens won't have 14 it's IR not even players close. on IR. The Bengals are the far the most at this point the most talented team in that division now. I that's, that's tough for me to say, man. That's tough. that's really tough for it's me to say. Tough. The Browns are a very talented roster. Wait, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Who's, who's the Browns number one wide receiver outside of Amari Cooper, who's been falling off? Well, you just said besides Amari Cooper, that's that's a that'd be the is best he better than Jamar Chase? That'd be the best. Is he better than T. Higgins at this point? I think to this point he's been more accomplished than Jamar Chase. Uh, has he ever had a season that Jamar Chase yeah, had last year? I, I think Jamar, and that I was Jamar Chase. If I had year. Jamar Chase, is a bit, the if best, I had to build my which quarterback is better than AFC North, right if I was building, don't even know if Deshaun Watson's playing. If I was being buying, if I was building an All AFC North team, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase would be the top of my list. But after that, you the have Miles Garrett. The Browns have a better running back. okay, but I'm saying you have Miles Garrett. You have plenty of players across the board in that AFC North. That are TJ Watt, yeah, Casey Hayward. Steelers. I mean, they, they have a ton of talent across There's the board. There's a lot of question marks on all those teams right now. Though. The Bengals are the only team that doesn't really have any real question marks. Really? They just almost, they, I mean, they're just in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's just, it's the same roster pretty much. It's I know, exact... but I'm saying that I, I think we all agree, though, that the Bengals made the Super Bowl more because of what the AFC didn't do to them in the playoffs than what they did to the AFC in the playoffs. I don't know if it's more. Things did break their way, but I don't know if it's more of that. They definitely worked to get there. They had some close calls, but I mean. I mean, Joe Burrow was not good in the playoffs. But let me look at the, look at the Chiefs running in 2019. Granted, we were, we, we were the reason a lot of things broke our way, but a lot of things did break our way. You know what I mean? There's there's some things that we were down 20-plus points twice. I'm just, I'm just saying that the Bengals could have very well lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Raiders. Yes. I mean, and Derek Carr doesn't like throw I'm that saying, we, we could have lost to the Texans, you know what I mean? Like, and a lot of things happened in that game that were crazy, and we ended up pulling that one Again, out. Again, but to, to, to help my point, the reason why the Chiefs could have lost to the Texans in 2019 is because what the Chiefs are doing to themselves. It wasn't because the Texans were taking it to the Chiefs. The Chiefs had horrific execution, multiple turnovers, multiple drops, uh, uh, fumble re- fumbles on the punts, like things mm-hmm. like that were happening. Yeah. And then when the Chiefs put it together, they whooped the shit out of the Texans. For sure. That's yeah. not what the Bengals did. The Bengals had they gave up nine sacks to the Titans and still won the game because Tannehill handed it to them. Yeah, Literally but, called but, a Tannehill. I'm handed just saying things did break our way as well, though. There were some crazy uh, turnovers from the opposition and things like that that helped happened. And if those didn't happen, we would, would not have won those games. Right. So I'm just saying like the. I'm not going to – I mean, granted, I do think the Bengals were a little overrated last year. I think they overachieved. I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah. But I think as far as talent-wise and a team that's ready to win again, I think that they're, they're the number one team right now because we can't trust the Ravens to stay healthy. We yeah. can't trust Lamar Jackson to perform every week because he's had very up-and-down games, especially last year. Granted, he was hurt a lot. There's a lot of question marks in that division. We don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns. I think the Bengals are the best team right now in that division. I don't think it's close yeah, right but now. But, but yet again, it's the division. It's a division opponent, so mm-hmm. therefore – it's gonna be a tough. It's gonna to be tough for the Bengals to, to uh, outdo the the rest of the division, knowing that they got to play him twice each time. And whoever sure. the Steelers' quarterback is, is gonna be an upgrade from what Ben Roethlisberger yeah. was. Oh, and that Steelers years. defense is gonna be gnarly yes, once again. That's exactly. always a good. And defense. Kenny Pickett or Mitchell Trubisky will be better. Oh, just, for sure. Just by on default than Ben. It's Roethlisberger still question marks. All I'm saying. I I I don't know if the, I'm not saying the Bengals are gonna win that division outright. Yeah. I don't. We don't know. And if Deshaun Watson is the starter for the Browns all year, that's going to be a good team and hey, fun team to watch. And then what do you know? After that game, the Chiefs finally play the Broncos. It's a Sunday night game. <laughs> Sunday night game. I know we got to wait Denver. all damn year to go watch this, all damn this year. matchup, Week man. Week 14, sucks. man. Yeah. The first time the Chiefs play the damn, yeah, the damn Denver Broncos. And I'm going to be paying, even though the Chiefs don't play them until way late in the season, yeah. and they play them twice in one month's time. Like uh, yeah, week, week 14 <laughs> and week 17 is when yeah. the Chiefs play the Broncos. Um 
I'm going to pay attention to the Broncos this year because I, I think they are the most boomer bust team in the entire NFL. I'm with you on that. Because of the fact that, yes, Russell Wilson by, just by default makes you a better team because he's just a great quarterback still. Mm. But even himself, we, we talk about the questions he has coming into this season. New offense, new system, 34 yeah. years old, hand surgery, five foot ten, been sacked almost 500 times in his career, and he hasn't been good in the playoffs in the last few years either. Yeah. There's a lot of questions with him, but the coaching, let's just say, the coaching system, we don't know if that's going to be a mesh. Right, you know, we let, don't know. Let, let's say, let's say though that Russell Wilson is just old Russell Wilson. He's still awesome, even to his own respect. Mm-hmm. He starts off seasons incredible. First eight nine weeks, he's MVP looking, and then he dwindles almost every single year as the as the season progresses. That's why he's never won MVP. That's why he's never had a single vote as MVP. Mm-hmm. So there's also that. Then the unproven commodities surrounding him: Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, who's already gotten himself in trouble, by the way. Lost Noah Fant. Their offensive line is shaky outside of Garrett Bulls. We don't know what this offense is going to be. We have no idea. And they lost Vic Fangio in that stellar defense. They are not going to be a top five defense this year. I'll just go ahead and say that because of the fact that you yeah. don't just lose a Vic Fangio and get better or stay the same. Yeah. That does not happen. Well, you lose him, and you know you lose a system, and you've lost some players. Right, like, that's a big. So I don't mean to overlook back. the Texans and the Seahawks, but we're not expecting them to be world beaters this year. Right. So more than likely, the Chiefs will handle business with those two teams. But playing the the Broncos in a month's time twice is saying something, and it could very well <laughs> tilt the scales in the Absolutely. AFC West and the AFC's playoff structure. So we'll see how the Chiefs handle those, and then they finish. Finish the season in Week 18 on January 8th with the Las Vegas Raiders at in, in in Las Vegas. They haven't announced when that game will be played. Whether it'll be a Sunday night, more than likely will be because I'm I'm sure the Raiders will still be fighting, or they could very well be representing the AFC West at that point. We have no idea what's going to happen because they did they did bolster the roster this year. They did give extensions to Derek Carr, Max Crosby. They went and uh, got Chandler Jones. They went and uh, got Devontae Adams. So they got a veteran heavy team now. Josh McDaniels is trying to prove his worth, even though I think he sucks ass as a head coach. He's 11 and. 17 in his career. I don't believe in him, but he believes in himself. And if him and Derek Carr find something between themselves, all of a sudden you have yourself a very formidable offense, the best offense potentially in, in the Derek Carr era. That could be posed, that could be posed as something that could be a legitimate threat in the AFC West. And that could very well be a big game for the Chiefs. So we'll see. Huge. But overall, like I said, guys, the biggest thing I wanted to point put in all this is that the pressure is on the opponents, is on the AFC. Why do you think they did what they did this year? Why do you think the Bills and the Broncos and the Raiders and the Chargers and all these top-tier AFC teams went and did what they did in free agency? Because they knew the pressure's on them to beat the Chiefs. They knew they were sick and tired. And I quite frankly think the NFL is sick and tired of seeing the Chiefs host the damn AFC championship. That's why they got the fucking gauntlet in the first eight weeks. Yeah. Then it was like, fuck you guys. We're going to try to get the Bills this time. Fuck you guys. You can freaking dominate. We don't want to pay for a John Wick movie. Yeah. Like, in one scene, he's like fighting off five guys. Like, oh, damn, that was impressive. And then the next scene's like 10 guys. And like, oh, dang. You decapitated three guys somehow and shot four of them in the head. And then the next scene is like 15 guys at once, 20 guys at once. And John Wick still managed to get It's like, did they keep throwing them? At- <laughs> like the more and more at us. All I'm gonna say is, man, if we overcome this this gauntlet of a of a schedule here, and we still somehow make it to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, it's gonna be a story of the ages, man. Because you think this, I mean, the, the playoffs alone are gonna be insane. Whoever makes it through this this insanely stacked AFC, if we make it through this division or this schedule on top in the AFC, my goodness, man, like that's a story in itself. And it's just another challenge to to go into the books for Patrick Mahomes, man. We uh, we ever got Shane on? Okay, awesome. All right, well, let me get my headset on. Hopefully, I don't mess anything up over there. You're good. I tend to do that. So, we are privileged and honored to have a guy that we just had on before the draft. He's uh, 
the most knowledgeable Chiefs fan I know. He's a guy I trust and always go to when I have a question. He comes to me sometimes, which I don't know why, because he knows far better than I do. But let's give it up for our guy, the guy that, that I call the Oracle, the man that can go into a trance and call a 1973 Chiefs game on a third and seven. Chiefs are down 19 to 13. We don't know what happened in that play, but Shane does. Let's give it up for our guy, Shaggy Shane Williams. What's up, Shane? How's it going? Kind of in and out, a little choppy. Uh oh. Hello. Check one. Check check. Yeah, there he is. There you go. Are we good? Are we there? Are we good? I think you're there. He's a little choppy. Hey, how you doing? You hear me? Check one, check, check. Yeah, we can hear you, brother. Uh, how's it going, man? What do you guys think? Well, we got a lot. We've been uh, unfolding the schedule, if we will, and I've been talking about how I think that the the pressure is on the opposition, not the Chiefs this year. Even though they have a gauntlet up front, it looks like in May it's going to be a tough schedule for the Chiefs. But there's a lot of questions about this schedule, about these teams that are coming into this season. A lot of pressure on the Bills, on the Broncos, on the Chargers to perform day one and try to take down the Chiefs. I think that the pressure is on those teams, not on the Chiefs, which I think gives a lot of incentive and a lot of opportunity for the Chiefs to come into the season and play loose and play great and do it early and often. I think that's what, how it's going to go. But Shane, I wanted to start with a question that you actually outlined for this show today that I wanted to start with. With the 10 picks in the 2022 NFL Draft, why do the Chiefs continue to hype up the unrestricted free agent Justin Ross on all these platforms? And why should we indeed buy the hype? Because he's ready to prove himself. Can you hear me? Yep. Excellent. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Justin Ross comes to the team as an unrestricted free agent rookie, of course. Uh, he had his opportunity to pick between five other teams. Obviously, he's, he's, there's a lot of question marks about him. The same question marks that we've seen with uh, Trey Smith, the same question marks we've seen with other players throughout the years that have fallen throughout the draft for reasons that we didn't know that they had fallen. Uh, but when you find out, you do your homework, you see that these players uh, medically – may have had issues that caused them to slip. Well, specifically to Justin Ross, his issues called it, caused him to fall completely out of the draft. No team even thought, you know, I'm going to take a flyer, a seventh-round draft pick on picking Justin Ross, when in fact they probably should have. Uh, Chiefs uh, medical expert Rick Bolkalter did a complete check on him. Andy Reid and Brett Beach continue to say that when the media asked, have, have asked Brett Beach and Andy Reid, you know, since this has all went down, are you going to bring Justin Ross up slowly? You know, immediately Andy Reid and Brett Beach say, our medical staff has cleared him. So the Chiefs are expecting him to hit the ground running. And they would not, trust me guys, I know – I've been watching a lot of Chiefs football for a long time. I'm old. I'm 52. <laughs> My vision's going. Enjoy being young, guys. Uh, the Chiefs would not be showing so much hype of this kid with 10 draft picks that they could have chose from running around in shorts last weekend if they didn't believe in the possibility of what Justin Ross could be. Uh, the kid is hungry. The kid's got some mad skills, 6'4", 210. 
He's getting his speed back from his foot injury that he had. You know, the, the biggest thing that happened to Justin Ross, in my opinion, last year is he came back. But he came back with a fracture or a, a foot injury. I don't know the specifics of his left foot injury, but there is, you know, there was a, a foot injury that he did sustain. That, in my opinion, and I think in many of people's opinions, was good because of where he was after his, you know, when he got benched at the end of the sophomore season. You know, he came back. He got to run around. He played through a foot injury. You know, he, he, he got his he got his uh, juju back, so to speak, but not all the way. Then he went to the combine, and he was still getting over that foot injury, so he wasn't as fast. So now... Everybody passed him into the draft. He had five or six teams to choose from. And he looked at those five or six teams and said, I want to go to Kansas City. We, we, we don't need to ask why. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Andy Reid. It's Eric Bieniemy. It's Matt Nagy. It's the entire Chiefs uh, offensive brass that can expedite Justin Ross's NFL growth. And with the Chiefs hyping him up with 10 NFL draft picks, I expect to see him continue that growth. Uh, I understand that everybody's being apprehensive. You know, what about his spine? What about his neck? What about this? What about that? Are you going to continue to bring him slowly? When the Chiefs continue to have uh, minicamp in May and in June, we're going to see how he works in with the rest of the veterans. You know, when the veterans show up, how is he going to look with the veterans? How is he going to look in pads? How is he going to look against opposing NFL cornerbacks that he's lined up in in practice, you know, when he's making the breaks, when he's making his moves. More importantly, when he's learning this dynamic offense. I'm excited about it. I'm buying the hype. I saw what the Chiefs did with Trey Smith after 31 other teams let him slip to the sixth round. Rick Bolkhalter, I wish he was my doctor so he could look me up and give me a clear bill of health because I think Justin Ross is ready to take over the National Football League. Call me crazy. Call me crazy because I'm buying it. Man. Crazy. <laughs> no, I, I definitely know that you are buying the hype, Shane, because you I know you uh, also created the Justin Ross fan page of the KC Chiefs uh, page on Facebook. So if you guys are on Facebook, go ahead and like that page as well. Shane does run that one. He started that, I believe, a little over a week ago. Uh, so I, I know Shane's buying the hype, and I, and I hope for your sake, man, it does work out because it does sound like the Chiefs really are uh, buying into the hype as well. And I think he's extremely talented. If he stays healthy... He could very much be a day one contributor for this team because he's he did he did his thing with Clemson back in the day, and I would like to see him have an, himself an NFL career. Um, moving to the the next question here because we actually just got on talking about the schedule uh, and gave our takes on it. I would like to get your thoughts. What are what are the when it comes to challenges, which we know is the is the the landmark of looking at a schedule and trying to figure out you know what the challenge is going to be for the Chiefs. What 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 are the challenges for you, Shane? I have a moral. With the unbalanced schedule that every team has to put down, you're going to play more. With 17 games, you're going to play more on the road. Last year, we had the benefit of playing the pack at home. So this year, that extra road game in Tampa Bay against Tom Brady uh, will, be, will be a struggle. But I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think the Chiefs should win. But it's just the fact that mentally you know that you have to go. You have to play more road games. But that's a part of the ticket. I'm ready to buy it. Uh, I think having the first three or four are on the road and the last two or three of the season are on the road. The Chiefs don't face Denver until December. 
Yeah, we were ready to hype up that Russell Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes, and now we got to wait until the plaza lights are lit up and our Christmas trees are up in our house <laughs> before we finally get to see how Russell Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes looks. Uh, Russell Wilson opens the 2022 season in Seattle on Sunday Night Football. My oldest daughter will be there watching that game. The Seahawks, Seattle still loves Russell Wilson, but they are rebuilding their offensive line to uh, get ready for next year's draft, so they're locked on lock. And uh, But enough about Seattle. Uh, the Chiefs' schedule, I am excited about it. There's so many primetime games. Uh, I, I think that the primetime games are going to be fun. I hope and pray that we win them all, buddy. And I'm excited, dude. I'm excited about what these kids can bring, man. I'm excited about the entire nucleus of the draft. Well, speaking of that, the the new defensive additions from the draft, I mean, I think they're going to be foundational pieces, uh, not just for years to come, but for this next season. I know that we talked about how the Chiefs have to go defense-heavy in this draft. They did. I believe seven of their ten picks were defensive players. I predicted that the Chiefs would make eight total picks, and six of them would be defensive players. So it was a, it was a close margin as far as where we saw the Chiefs going mentality-wise. I, I thought they were going to go more pass rush, edge rush. They ended up going a lot of secondary, which I am cool with as long as it works. And I think when you see these guys like McDuffie, when you see these guys like Brian Cook, I think that you're going to see these guys become primary players. I'm not saying they're all going to pop and be top-tier all-pro players, but I think they can all find their place in the SPAG system, and I'm very excited about that. But I want to get your thoughts on these new defensive additions from the draft and how the they will be, they'll be the foundation of this team for many years to come. Oh, man. With the coaching staff and the players the Chiefs attained in the draft are, are, are going to grow. You know, you look for – I know as rookies, we're going to talk now, but longevity-wise, these guys are going to be the foundation of this team for many years to come because of their skill set and because of the type of leaders they are. They're smart and they're violent. Those are the perfect combination when you're rebuilding a defense. What I love about George Karloftis is that he's got a lot of lower body strength. He's got a lot of energy. Already running 100 miles an hour at rookie minicamp. Andy Reid has already had to tell him he needs to slow down. He's ready to prove worth, man. He played water polo and before he started playing football. I know that doesn't sound really comparable to football, but it talks about his lower body strength, which I talked, which I just said. But I think that he's going to come in. He's going to prove himself. He's got a lot. He's freaking. He's got a lot of gumption and a lot of want to. I know his sacks weren't highly there in uh, at Purdue, but I think Spagnuolo is going to put him in succession in a place to be successful. I love uh, Trent McDuffie. Man, I'm so thrilled we drafted that cat. He fell all the way to 21. I can't believe it. He, he's comparable to me to Brandon Flowers. The way he always, the, the way Brandon Flowers would come up. If you watch Brandon Flowers' film and Washington Husky film of Trent McDuffie, I see a lot of Brandon Flowers in Trent McDuffie's game. And Brandon Flowers wasn't a slouch. I love that guy. He played with a lot of one two. He, he plays with a lot of, you know, wants to get to the ball, wants to get to the ball. Not afraid to put his head down, shoulder, and wrap up the guy and make the plays. And he's he's a damn good in secondary as well. Ryan Cook, man, that dude. Have you seen the highlights on him? He's got some long <laughs> arms. He can get after it. He can hit. Cracks. Yeah. He definitely, Trevor. Definitely. He remind. He's taken over for Dan Swords and Dirty Dan. 
So mm-hmm. since Brian Cook has taken over for Dirty Dan, I gave him the nickname Dirty Cookie because the Dirty, <laughs> the dirty Cookie get after these guys. So I'm stoked about Brian Cook. I don't know about the guy from uh, the the small school. What was that? What was the Daryl? What what's his name? Williams. Williams. I should know. He's got my last name. But what was his what's his first name? Josh. Joshua. Joshua Williams. What school was that? Lafayette. Yes. What was it? A small was it school. Lafayette. I, I don't know. It's a small school. I don't have the stats right here in front of me. But it's a small school. They trust him to come in and play some play some uh, good defense. And I trust uh, what Spagnuolo is going to do with these kids. He's going to put them in situations to be successful. And Leo Chennault, we cannot forget about Leo yes. Chennault. Because Leo Chennault is going to come in and he's going to take over for Ben Neiman. The dirty cookie, Brian Cook, is going to take over for Sportsman. <laughs> I trust Chanel and Brian Cook in blitz packages more than I trust uh, Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman. I think Chanel is going to be what Everything that Ben Neiman wasn't. I know that uh, Spagnola kept Ben Neiman out on the field over Dorian O'Daniel because he felt that Ben Neiman had the mental mind, you know, he was mental makeup to play over Ben uh, over Dorian O'Daniel, but he wasn't he wasn't athletically inclined to be very successful in blitz packages, and I think Leo Chanel picks up that slack in that department. Uh, Joshua Williams, by the way, went to Fayetteville State. So Eddie was really close. It's it's in the same vicinity. But yeah, Fayetteville State is where he went, and he's a 6'3 cornerback who's going to be a project going into this season, but it's still exciting to see that type of athleticism being added to the secondary. And I actually love that uh, nickname you gave Brian Cook, man. Dirty Cookies is great. That's a great <laughs> freaking nickname. So congratulations to that one, Shane. My but um, You say what? My brother, Rob Oh, okay. <laughs> Congratulations to him because that was awesome. Uh, moving to a team that I think has just about as much pressure as any team in the league, the Buffalo Bills. Um, I, I talked about how in the beginning of the show that you know everyone's talking about on the national level that the, the, the Bills have been just knocking on the door for two years now. They've just been knocking on that Super Bowl door. And then we see in 2020 the Chiefs beat them in the AFC Championship. They lose in the divisional round in 2021, again to the Chiefs. My question with this team is, are they knocking on the door or are they banging their heads against the wall known as the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead? Because that's the question I think that they got to answer. They're going to have a lot of pressure this year because Josh Allen, this is his final season where he's not expensive. If they weren't to win the Super Bowl this year, that means that McDermott would have roughly still a losing record in the playoffs as a head coach. So that begs the question, can he get it done? They have new pieces. They've overspent on Stephon Diggs, in my opinion. They went and put a ton of money on a 33-year-old pass rusher who's had multiple knee injuries in Vaughn Miller to try to solidify their defense, even though they lost Jerry Hughes. But the funniest thing to me that happened this offseason with the Bills was seeing that video that for some reason they thought it was a good idea to put it out there, uh, where they show their their brass uh, talking about the Chiefs trading ahead of them with the Patriots to go and get the guy we all know they wanted in, Trent McDuffie, who you're big on. I think a lot of us are big on. To me, w- what did the Bills have to gain by letting the world know publicly that the Chiefs pulled this off in the first round instead of them taking the player they wanted? I, I, uh, I don't think let the player because I think it's all know, follow the draft closely. 
yeah, you're not player you want. Somebody trade up or something. Crap. Put it. Hey, Shane, Shane, we're having a problem hearing you, man. Can you, uh, is the reception a little rough where you're at? Can you hear me now? A, l a lot better, yeah. It is kind of choppy in and out a little bit. Okay, well, I'm, I'm right here. Okay. There you go. That's good. I'm, I'm moving this as little much as I can. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. You're fine. I just think that uh, the Buffalo Bills made a, you don't hurt your fan base more by letting, the team that knocked you out in the playoffs the last two years uh, take the guy that you wanted. Even though I think all the insiders said the Chiefs traded up to get their guy. The Chiefs traded up with Buffalo to get uh, the Buffalo Bills pick. I don't think it was a good idea to do that. I don't, I don't, what, what, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, Trevor, how do you feel about knowing that the Chiefs just traded up to get your guy? Oh, it's more a fuel to the fire. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm with you on that. But we got the guy, so... <laughs> I agree, though, that with that being another edge. But, I mean, they still got to go out there and beat us when it counts. And we've been the one to end up on top of that. So, How do you feel, Eddie? If, if I'm the Buffalo Bills? Fan, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you know the Chiefs just took your pick. Oh, I mean, I'll be livid. <laughs> I'll be mad. I'll be upset. I would want to beat them as bad as I possibly can when I, when I come to KC. Right. What about you, Lance? How do you feel? I think it's. Uh, I think the Bills have to look at it like this. The Bills fans have to look like this. Ah, we'll finish second to the Chiefs again. This is becoming a tradition. No, I like it. No, I'm talking about Bills fans. They're like, man, we are real. We are really the redheaded stepchild here. Like we are just going to finish again. second in everything when it comes to the Chiefs. I'm thrilled we got Trent McDuffie. I spent, I spent the first round of the draft begging the Chiefs. Not to trade up in the first round. I was thinking, please, God, do not let us trade <laughs> the first round for a wide receiver. But what we will hear, and we will hear later on in the summer, that the Chiefs were interested in trading up for Jimmy but they weren't going to trade up till 12. Mm. Uh, that story will break later in the summer. I was expecting that as well. So when you hear a story break this summer, that the Chiefs were on the verge of trading up for Jameson Williams, and uh, it didn't happen. Don't let it bum you out like the Buffalo Bills fans were bummed that we got Trent McDuffie because the Kansas City Chiefs did the right thing by staying where they were, trading up eight spots for Trent McDuffie, and I'm stoked for it. I love Jameson Williams. He's going to be a stud. I'm sorry he's with Detroit. I'm sorry he was expected to be drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. His whole family was decked out in red. They thought they were going to be on the Chiefs, but he's got to go to Motown and learn how to play with Jared Goff. I'm stoked. It's the Chiefs trying to trip up. Yep. 50 years ago this August, one Lamar Hunt decided to build a stadium called Arrowhead Stadium. And it's been home to us Chiefs fans ever since. In fact, they weren't even the Chiefs before that. They were known as the Dallas Texans. Nine years from today or nine years from this year, the lease at Arrowhead will be up and there will be even more questions as to where the Chiefs will be playing moving forward for the next nine years. Now, I don't believe it's going to be a mystery in the next three to four years as, to far, as far as where the Chiefs are going to play, whether they're going to re-up at that complex, the Truman Complex, and with the Royals 
inevitably moving to downtown. The Chiefs have a lot of opportunity to utilize that space that will be free and open once the Royals move to do what they want. Or they can do what a lot of people think is just insane and could never happen or could be impossible, which I actually think could very well happen now that the gambling has opened up officially here in Kansas City. Well, it will start in July. But regardless... A lot of gambling is going to be opened up here on the Kansas side. There's a lot of space on the Kansas side. The Chiefs have hinted at it. In 2032, do you believe the Chiefs will be playing in, in, in still in the Independence in Kansas City, Missouri? Jackson County will step up, pay those taxes, do what they need to do. I know you're a Jackson County member, if I'm not mistaken. Shane, just a short drive over to Arrowhead from your house. Where are they going to be playing football in 2032? Time's on my side. Time's on my side for Jackson County to step up and uh, keep Kansas City at Arrowhead where they belong. But it's not looking good May 14th, 2022. It's not looking good because of the leadership in Jackson County. Kansas is putting together the sweet package. And I didn't like Mark Donovan at first saying Kansas is an option for the Chiefs. Because I felt like it hurt us. It hurt Jackson County. It hurt uh, the people that love going to Arrowhead Stadium, where it's currently located. I felt that that was a kind of a diss. But if you look at it from a business sense, Mark Donovan's asking Jackson County to show some interest. Not just expect Arrowhead to stay where it's located, even though it is magical and spacious, and even though it is currently the loudest stadium in the NFL and currently is the best place to go tailgate. The area around the stadium is depleted. It's eroding. The giant Adams mark was, uh, went out of business four years ago. It sits there barren, boarded up the homeless break into it. Uh, it's, if you go, if you, the houses around the neighborhood or, you know, on the decline, it needs a serious rebuild. Our friend Grant Morris from Arrowhead Live mentioned how the Dallas Cowboys took their new stadium and put it in an area that was in the same state, literally, as Arrowhead is currently located. And they were able to rejuvenize that entire area, turn it into a billionaire, you know, extravaganza by putting a stadium at that spot and putting a lot of money, a lot of taxpayer voting, a lot, I mean, you know, a taxpayer increase, a lot, a lot of positivity went into building up Dallas. Granted, Texas is different than Missouri, but Jackson County needs to come up with a plan to not let the temptation of what Kansas has to offer be alluring to Clark Hunt and Mark Donovan. Because Kansas has put together a sweet package. Kansas can say, oh, let's let's see what Jackson County's doing for to keep Arrowhead. We're not doing much. We'll give you this big empty lot, billions of dollars, a retractable roof. Oh, you want the final four? We'll do that too. Kansas is going to put billions of dollars together to make it easy for Clark Hunt to look around and say, okay, Jackson County, what do you want to do? I got this mega freaking offer 
just across the state line. Do you want to pay anything? And what I hear from the majority, and I'm keeping it real, and this hurts me to say, what I'm hearing from the majority of Jackson County taxpayers is, we ain't going to pay for no stadium. They can't even fix the potholes down. <laughs> we ain't. Hey, get these street lights to work properly. Vote for stadium. Those are over there. They can build their own stadium. I don't want to build. If, if we keep that same mindset, we will lose the whole area around the stadium. Will freaking be depleted. It will go downhill. Jackson County, this is your time to step up. Kansas is going to make Arrowhead a. Kansas is going to make Clark Hunt a freaking mega offer that's going to be too hard to turn down. Jackson County, don't think you won't lose the Chiefs. Don't think you won't lose the Chiefs because it's a damn freaking possibility. Jackson County, you need to rally. You need to look and see what Kansas is putting together because they're going to steal your girl. And once you lose your <laughs> girl, you're going to be alone. Jackson County, step up. Save the Chiefs. Keep them here. And when the Royals go downtown, build that area up just the same way the Dallas Cowboys did 10 years ago. you got to do it. you got to do it. This is where Arrowhead belongs. But if you don't, and if you keep allowing it to erode, and if you keep allowing that area to decay, and you Jackson County and taxpayers, along with me, I'm a Jackson County taxpayer. Yes, Arrowwood Stadium's four miles from my house, and it is a short drive. Step up. We got a rally because Kansas is going to make a freaking hell of an offer. And 10 years from now, is going to go by just like that. 10 years ago at this time, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Dontari Poe. That wasn't, you know, to me, that, that didn't seem like that long ago. That was in the first round 10 years ago. 10 years are going to fly by. So you need to start stepping up before Kansas really even becomes more of a viable option because it's there. They're not just going to stay here because we're loyal. Let's step up, Jackson County. We can do this. Let's keep Arrowhead Stadium right here where it belongs, right here where Lamar Hunt wanted it. Let's keep it here in Jackson County. Yeah, you guys heard it from the man himself. He's he's in the thick of it. I mean, I mean, Arrowhead's basically his backyard, and he doesn't plan on getting rid of his backyard. So help help my guy Shaggy out. If it doesn't happen, I mean, us Kansas folk won't be too upset about it. I mean, my taxes are going to go up, but I would do it gladly. But I, I understand where Shane's coming from on this because that is the foundation. That is where Lamar Hunt decided to stake his flag and say this is where the Chiefs are going to reign. And that's where it's been for 50 years, man. I mean, it'd be pretty uh, melancholy to see that end. But, like I said, I don't think we'd be too upset over here on the Kansas side, on the 913 side of things. But I don't want to trigger too many folks on this. But I got I got one last question for you, Shane. We're going to let you loose, man. Okay. The, the, the Chiefs, although their, their, their draft was awesome, I think they're going to have a lot of, like I said, day one contributors, a lot of really good players that are going to make some differences this season. But I do believe the Chiefs have two significant – holes to fill and they both have to do with veteran players and, and and getting more veteran presence i think those two guys that can fill those holes are melvin ingram and james bradbury and i think they're two very realistic acquisitions the chiefs can make this offseason melvin ingram in particular because of the fact that the chiefs as it currently stands are going to rely on a rookie 
edge rusher and George Karloftis to lift this defense and to get things going on that inside, and I just don't think that's fair to him. I like uh, Karloftis. I like the pick, and I, I expect good things from this season, but I just think that's unfair for, for the Chiefs to, to rely on him to do that because we just don't think that enough's going to come from Frank Clark this season to really elevate the edge rush. So they need to go and add Melvin Ingram, who, by the way, was the only guy to sack Joe Burrow in the AFC Championship. So they need to go and get him. And then James Bradbury is a guy I know the Chiefs were in talks of trading for this offseason. Now he's been cut by the Giants. I think it's common sense to add him. Yes, the Chiefs went heavy in the secondary on the draft, but they don't have any true veteran presences there. Justin Reed and uh, Rashad Fenton, I think, are the longest-tenured uh, guys in the NFL in the secondary, unless it's Lonnie Johnson, but those guys combined, Lonnie Johnson and Justin Reed, I believe combined, have just as much experience in the NFL as James Bradbury himself. So I think these are two common sense moves the Chiefs can fit under the cap, especially when they get their long-term deal with Orlando Brown Jr. figured out. I think these two need to move, these two moves need to happen, Shane. What are your thoughts? I agree. First, I'm about Melvin, uh, 2021, uh, our team. MVP last year. He's the reason why we're in the AFC Championship game. I hope they can't line that up, and it does come into effect uh, soon. I think the situation with Bradbury will come down to Orlando Brown. The Chiefs need to get that extension done with Orlando Brown to free up more cap space to sign Bradbury. Could they give Bradbury a contract while having Orlando Brown on the tag? Sure. But I think to free up even more cash, it makes more the better business sense to get that extension done with Orlando Brown first and then uh, happen with – and then take care of the situation with Orlando Brown and then it'll help with the Bradbury signing. Uh, the last time the Kansas City Chiefs took uh, two rookies and just threw them to the Wolves was in 2008 when the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Brandon Flowers in the second round, rookie, and the, Keith, the Kansas City Chiefs in 2008 in the fifth round drafted Brandon no, Brandon Flowers was a second-round draft pick, and Brandon Carr was a fifth-round draft pick in 2008. Herm Edwards threw him to the Wolves. They were solid for three seasons before Brandon Carr went to Dallas. So I, I don't know if Andy Reid's taking the same approach as Herm Edwards to say, I'm just going to let these rookies or these rookies and these veterans that don't have much uh, playing time in the NFL have this much uh uh, play, but I, if if it happens, you know, if we don't get Bradbury, I, I'm excited about the kids. But if we do get Bradbury, I'll be happy too. But I, I'm not I'm not losing any sleep over Bradbury just because, you know, no, no disrespect to you, I want to see these kids play. I'm looking forward to the foundation of these kids play. Just be out there and young and hungry and letting it fly and let letting it play loose, man. But if we get Bradbury. I'll I'll, tweet, I'll send you a private message, or I'll send you a text, or I'll send you an annoying message on Twitter, and I'll say, okay, dude, what is it you really like about this guy? <laughs> That's fair. I'm That's just fair. Ready for the kids, dude. I'm ready for the kids. I'm ready. For sure. I am too, man. It's going to be an exciting season for sure. And I think that, like I said, I think the Chiefs are going to come into this season with plenty of motivation, plenty of um, – 
expectation, <laughs> but I think the pressure right now is on all the other teams they're going to be facing this year, and I think that's going to bode well for the Chiefs. And we'll be giving our official predictions the week before, the episode before week one of the NFL season, of the 2022 NFL season. And Shane, we're going to have you back on, bro, before the season begins. I can't wait to do that. But in the meantime, let the people know where they can find your YouTube channel. Let them know where they can find you and how they can follow your awesome content. And on Twitter, I don't I don't tweet much. You can find me at Shaggy Shane KC. And on Facebook, just uh, look for uh, Shane Williams. But more importantly, you should look for the Justin Ross fan page of the Kansas City Chiefs on Facebook. The kid's a star. What do they say when you're gambling? You push all your chips to the front of the table. You put, you put it down. I'm pushing it. If the Chiefs are pushing for Justin Ross, by golly, we all should. I like it, Shane. We appreciate your time today, brother. We love you, man. And uh, looking forward to talking more Chiefs football with you this summer. Go Chiefs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's our guy, Shaggy Shane. If you guys couldn't hear it, I know he had some a few connection issues there. But if you guys want to go to YouTube and follow Shaggy Shane KC or just look up Shaggy Shane Chiefs, you will find all his videos on there. The guy does an incredible job. He gives you everything he's got. He's completely authentic. He's real. And uh, he's going to be the kind of guy that you want to follow. I know I do. I always get, no matter if it's a Chiefs loss, Chiefs win, I always go watch Shaggy's videos because they, they make me either just as happy as I already was, if not more, or they lift me up because the guy gives me some real stuff, some real content. And we appreciate him always bringing that here as well on the Spoken Podcast. Shaggy, shout out to Shaggy Shane. He doesn't tweet a lot, but he tweets enough, so go follow him on Twitter as well. <coughs> I say we roll right into it, man. I do want to get your guys' thoughts, though, before we get to the Eddie Hour, though. Because that's that is I wanted to get that that uh, the opinion of Shaggy on adding Melvin Ingram and James Bradbury. I think that those are two guys that not only could to help the Chiefs dramatically as veterans, but I think that they want to. I think they were are guys that are realistic too. They're not just pipe dream guys. I know that before the offseason really started, we're sitting here talking about you know going and trading for Josh Allen or going and signing Chandler Jones or one of these big time free agents. Yeah. Those ended up becoming pipe dream esque type of players. Well, I don't think these guys are. I think these are dudes that could legitimately be Chiefs this season. And in particular, Melvin Ingram, because the Chiefs did tender him. Yeah. So more than likely, he will be back with the Chiefs. But James Bradbury is a guy that I do believe is gonna get, could very well be here in Kansas City. We know that Brett Veach is big on him. We know that he fits the defense because he's, he's a zone defense kind of guy. I know Spags likes to play a lot of man, but he's also a big physical cornerback uh, as well and would add that much more because although I'm with Shane, and I know we all agree on this. We want to see the young guys play this season. At the same time, I think it's a little unfair to put McDuffie as the cornerback one and try to make Sneed that rotational guy or make him a slot corner strictly, but then try to force him back out there if McDuffie struggles at all, as opposed to having that surefire cornerback one in James Bradbury, who's 28 years old. You can get on a two-year, $20 million deal right now as it stands, according to Mike Gennetti of SpotRack. I think that's the way you go about it. You give that much more versatility to your defense, especially if secondary is the mission and the end goal here. Because even though, you know, I saw people talking about how, well, you don't need to add James Barry because the Chiefs already went heavy in secondary. Well, you guys remember just one last, just one offseason ago, mm. the Chiefs, before even drafting Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, they went and signed Joe Tooney to the most lucrative deal as a guard in NFL history, and they went and traded for Orlando Brown Jr. and signed Austin Blythe, who ended up not even playing for the Chiefs almost all of last season because Creed Humphrey was better than him. <laughs> so they overcorrected at the offensive line. Yeah. I don't see why overcorrecting in secondary wouldn't be the, uh, the best thing to do, especially when you consider the fact of how many great quarterbacks and how many good quarterbacks the Chiefs are going to face this year. So James Bradbury being added to the equation only helps the Chiefs stay, at, uh, stay atop of the AFC 
UFC because you're giving that much more of a challenge to the opposition by adding a veteran presence like that along with these talented guys the Chiefs just drafted. Yep. I, I think I think there's a chance that we can get both of these guys. Um, granted, I would lean more towards the Melvin Ingram side just because I know, I know he's a little older, obviously, but I know what he brings when he's on this roster. Um, and I know the... the um, the influence he would have on this in this locker room as well, uh, and we've seen it. He's already done it. He's he was a bit, he was infectious last year when he joined this roster from from week from his first game playing with, in the Chiefs uniform. He was infectious, uh, so I want that back. I would like to have that, even if he's not up, you know, up to par as far as playing. Any, but just having him in the locker room, having that vocal leadership, uh, is very important to me as a Chiefs fan um, and wanting to see this defense thrive. And I think we. Uh, we we have depth right now with DBs. We have depth right now at the uh, you know in the secondary. Uh, we got a lot of bodies back there to compete and see who who you know which cream rises to the top there. So I think we do need more help on the defensive line. So I would lean more towards bringing Melvin Ingram in if he and he was definitely. I think he'll be cheaper um, than uh, than anybody else honestly at this. And there's not really anybody else out there besides Jadavion Clowney who I just don't want to touch. Um, but I, I mean, think, bringing Bradbury in, he hasn't been that great the last couple of years. I'll be honest, he hasn't been on a good team either. Um, but <coughs> a team that's always trailing, and you know, I mean, so I, 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 there's that as well. Um, but he has been a part. Of, he has had really good years as, as well. So you got to take the, the pros with the cons. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't. I don't think he's going to be a chief. Honestly, I don't. I think Melvin Ingram has much better of a chance. The odds are definitely in his favor. He's already been a chief before. Um, guys in this locker room already love him. Uh, Coach Spags already vouches for him. You know, he has that relationship already that's built in. Bradbury, granted, Bradbury would be a good Spags guy. Um, you know, so I think that he would fit right into the system and having that other another veteran in that secondary. Um, I, I feel like, uh, and ironically enough, they're both Washington guys. I, I feel with McDuffie, similar to how I felt about Marcus Peters year one. Um, you know, we were we were happy about bringing Marcus Peters in. You know, a, a guy that can go out there and just make plays. And he's far more aggressive than Marcus Peters ever was. He's much better tackler than Marcus Peters ever was. Marcus Peters was a true ball hawk, yep. right? A guy that's just going to go track that ball down, read the quarterback's eyes. It's risk averse, right? He's he's or he's he's a high risk kind of guy. He 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 got burnt also a lot of times too in his career so far. But Marcus Peters made more plays than he left on the field, um, typically, especially in the first couple of years of the Chiefs. He was insane. He was on pace to have an insane amount of interceptions his first couple of seasons. Um, so I, I see McDuffie as this, I think he's a day one guy. I really do. I think McDuffie's going to go out there and be that that guy next to Legarius Need. I really do. I think those are going to be our two starting corners. Um, and so I mean, there I'm, I'm I'm comfortable there. I think Bradbury could definitely come in and step in to be that veteran leadership guy. I just don't. I I personally don't think he's going to be a chief. I I still think a lot of these corners want too much money. I don't know how much Bradbury's wanting, but they he couldn't come to terms with the Giants who have money, right, to pay him, but they'd refuse to. So I, there's a lot of things there that I think that might keep the Chiefs from 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 making a decision there. And like Shaggy said, we do need to we do need to figure out Orlando. Uh, Brown's deal first, get that locked in, put that into place. That way we know which, what kind of money we're working with. Uh, and we'll have a lot of money still um, after that, that deal is done. But we need to figure that out first, get him locked in and take care of our guy first who's in-house already uh, before we make any decisions otherwise. But I think Melvin Ingram has a great chance of coming back here. And I think if he has to choose between any teams paying him a similar amount of money, I think he would come back to Kansas City. And I think that would make way more sense for him later on his career to have a good best chance of winning and contributing to those wins. Yeah, I'm not too concerned on corners. Uh, we have depth. Uh, I think the rookies that we drafted and what uh, the the player we traded for for, for from the Texans, 
I think that's that's enough for for corners. I think we're gonna be good. I'm not gonna say we're gonna be great. Uh, we gotta give these rookies uh, time to adapt. Obviously, uh, time to uh, to learn the plays and stuff like that. So, but yeah, either way, I'm still not not concerned. I think they're good enough. I think they're they're gonna perform to to what we know they can. Uh, and then Melvin Ingram, that's a player that you want to have here because you need that veteran presence. Obviously, we, it's a need. Yeah, yeah. obviously with Tyron Matthew now gone, you need that. You need that vocal leader. And obviously, uh, Melvin Ingram, he was uh, he was very vocal since he was here. And uh, I think the Chiefs need that kind of leadership uh, for the simple fact that Tim, me, in my opinion, I don't think Chris Jones can be that leader. We last last season Tyron Matthew went out for one game or I believe it was a I think he missed a game week one uh to where Chris Jones could have stepped up and be that leader and we saw him struggling out there he he just wasn't well Chris Jones was dealing with a hand injury yeah, he, yeah but he's getting double teamed damn yeah. every snap I mean uh what <laughs> Frank his, Clark was terrible but I mean who was uh our offensive line had a broken wrist so I get it no I'm not trying uh, the the pain maybe. tolerance though is different for each individual <laughs> and Chris Jones again is dealing with trying Little to get bitch. through people as opposed to trying to oppose one person okay. you know what I'm saying that's well, all I'm saying the besides, Jones, he did what he did uh, besides Chris Jones been a little bitch no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no but uh obviously either way throughout the season we didn't see Chris Jones be that vocal leader uh Tyron Matthew would, had that role I get it. You don't want to have too many, but at the same time, two two completely different things. Uh, Tyron Matthew could be in charge of the DBs uh, and and deal with that, and Chris Jones could be be in charge, be that guy of the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he just didn't step up for me, and I think that when Melvin Ingram came in, he was that vocal leader that that the line needed because that line drastically changed uh, the moment Ingram came into this team. So Melvin Ingram, him being a veteran. It's a must for the Chiefs, and I would love to see him come back. So, but yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about Bradbury becoming coming to KC. If he comes, great. I would love to move. If he doesn't come, great. I still love to move. So, I'm more more concerned about Mel- Melvin Ingram actually coming back than than I am for for Bradbury coming to KC. Fair enough, man. Um, we have another order of business to get to because, like I said, we've been talking a lot of Chiefs. We got to get to the Eddie Hour, man. I know you got some. Oh, I know you got some questions, man. I'm <laughs> sure that you uh, you have some thought provoking questions as well. So let's let's go right into it. Let's get in the meat of it. What's in the Eddie Hour this week, man? All right, man. Let's go to the first fucking question. I can't wait for this answer. <sighs> let's just go right right to it. Let's Reactions go. to the Canelo versus Bivol fight because uh, I mean, who <laughs> called it? Who said Canelo was gonna lose? I mean, well, you say that every time, so you were bound to get it right eventually. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I was right, y'all were wrong. Reaction. This is your moment. No, I think that Bivol. I watched the. I watched some of the highlights. Uh, Bivol was was dominating, honestly, man, in a lot of ways. I saw the way he controlled the ring. Um, he made Canelo fight for not fight, but literally uh, fight tooth and nail for everything he got. Uh, it was really. It was a weird uh, mentality that Canelo had. It's so much so that Tyson, Mike Tyson, even came out. And talked about how weird it was for Canelo to, to, to go at Bivol the way that he did, going up a class like that yeah. and trying to attack him the way Be that he the did. It was, it was very weird. Yeah. I'm not saying that Bivol didn't earn the fight. He clearly did. It's all Bivol. He did what he needed to do to win the fight. But Canelo just he came in there with a really weird mentality, and I don't think he I don't think he did the right that, thing. That that's Canelo's fighting style. That, what I saw was Canelo's fighting style. He usually goes for the mm-hmm. arm, trying to try to make you bring that arm down. 
But obviously, as you go up, it, uh, higher in class is going to be tougher for those those guys can take hits. Yeah, exactly. And I think Canelo wasn't ready for that because obviously he doesn't fight in that in that weight class. So he was he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't expecting that. So his style of fighting, pretty much, um, uh, how can I say this? It, it didn't translate. It didn't translate yeah. to the higher higher. Uh, it didn't work to class. his favor like it, it does not. in his normal exactly. weight class. If yeah. he would have went down, if he would have stayed at his uh, weight class and he would have fought another opponent, if he did that same style, either it would have been a uh, knockout or he would have just went the distance and win comfortably. Yeah. But obviously that that didn't translate to so. It's not that he changed his style. No, that that's Canelo. That's the same way he fought Smith, which was the previous fight. Yeah, is he he went for the arm and obviously he started dropping it because he couldn't take those hits anymore. And that's when Canelo started rocking him, rocking him. At this fight against Bivol, he tried to do the same thing, but obviously his style of fighting did not translate. To Meanwhile, a, a Bivol big. was landing all those jabs, creating those straights, counter punches. Yeah. Like he was he was doing his thing. And I gotta give I gotta give Bivol all the credit in the world. Now I know that Canelo wants the rematch. And I do believe that rematch Bullshit. does occur. I do believe that rematch does occur, which I, I have a hard time believing. Yeah. It but should. if it does happen, it if it does happen, I do think Canelo wins this one I because I think he's gonna he's gonna create recreate or not recreate the mistakes he once made. I think he's gonna change it up a little bit, and he's the better fighter between the two. And I think he gets it done. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and make my prediction now. He can be the better fighter and still lose because yeah, it's a bad matchup. That's what's beautiful about sports in general, but especially boxing. You know, everyone's got their matchup that's just a bad one for them. You know, George Foreman had his bad matchups. Muhammad Ali had his bad bad matchups. Everybody's had their bad matchups, um, so I, um, yeah. I mean, I watched I watched a lot of the the fight. I watched after the after the fact. I didn't watch it live, but the 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 thing that stuck out the most to me was the game plan. I just think Bivol had the better game plan. He was ready for the style of fight that he knew that Canelo was going to want to bring. Canelo was definitely aggressive, uh, and he was. But the, there's a power difference in this weight class, and Bivol had, not only had good power and packed a lot of power, even in the jabs, even in the jabs, but the speed with the power. The guy. The guy's good. That's my first time ever watching him fight, and I was like, "Damn, the counter hits is what was," because he, he was because it's funny the whole time like you talked about how Canelo tries to bait his guy, their guys, his opponents into dropping their arm, but Bivol knew that, and Bivol was baiting him into doing that, and he was countering all those hits. He would let he would let Canelo hit him, and then boom, 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 get him right after he was. Combo it was yeah. combo too. I yeah, it, I, I gained. I, I'm a fan now. Like that that watching those highlights of what he was doing was incredible. The guy's a stud um i didn't know, know much about him i didn't give him the benefit of the doubt because i did that was my lack of uh, uh knowledge of the guy but man he won that fight fair and square straight up and dominated and uh yeah i can't say much more about it the count the counter hits and him him playing off of what he knew canelo was going to try to do it was brilliant and brilliant game plan and he executed it brilliantly yep there's going to be a no about this for me later on so <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. stay tuned to that but with I love the way uh, what people said after the fight when they interviewed him. I am the champ. Mm. I want to be treated as the champ for the rematch. As he should. And boy, I fucking love what he said there because <laughs> it's one hundred percent true. He wasn't treated as a champion. Canelo was treated as a champion, even though he wasn't a, a champion in that weight class, mm. which was a disrespect to the champion. Uh, yeah. To he, uh, people took that personal. And the shit that I hate the most about Canelo is is his rematch clause. So if you if you if you pay attention to his rematch rematch clauses, it usually goes: if I win the fight, there's no rematch. But if I lose the fight, I am allowed to rematch. Mm. And I fucking hate that hate that about Canelo because 
how come you deserve a rematch, but they don't, even though it's their title you're taking away if you win? Mm-hmm. How, oh, so how, do, how does that fucking... So if they lose the title, they don't get a rematch? No. Because Canelo, it puts it in the contract to where they can't put a rematch. I just think that's that's. I think that's just treatment to that's a, just a being, superstar. That's just being fucking petty to me. That's why I fucking hate Canelo. Somebody had to agree to it. It's a. It's a. I fucking. There's just little things. I. Well, more than little things, but and there's. I just can't stand Canelo for what he does. Obviously, the disrespect for him not not being treated as the champion, and I 100% agree because he is the champion. And he came out before Canelo, and Canelo wasn't even the champion. So hopefully, this next match is a location that he that he chooses with his judges, because these were Canelo judges, mm. with his judges, and in his territory, pretty much wherever he he chooses to to pick this fight. Yeah, I think for Bivol, I think it's it, his 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 battle with all this is the fact that he knew he wasn't the most marketable fighter in this matchup. Right. And then when he beat Canelo, the overriding emotion of, okay, now I need to get my respect. Because look at like in the Wilder Fury situation. Going into those first the, the three times they fought, yeah. going into all the first two, everyone was paying attention to Fear or to Wilder because he was the more marketable fighter. He was more he was well loud. known. He was loud. Tyson Fury yeah. was one of those up and down with his health and depression and all that stuff. So when Fury beat him that second time, it was still looked at as Wilder to lose. And I think that Fury looked at that as fuel. So if Bivol is trying to beat Canelo again, I think he needs to look at it that way as opposed to, well, I need to be looked at the way Canelo gets looked at. Maybe don't focus on that. Utilize that as a positive for you to go into this fight feeling loose and the pressure still on Canelo because everyone's still fixated on Canelo being the marketable piece. Does that make sense? Because oh, look what Fury did that third time. He beat the fuck out of, of out of Wilder. And I think it's because he embraced that. He embraced the fact that people still weren't picking him to be the guy to beat Wilder. And well, he did it twice. The, pr- the pressure for this rematch is on Canelo. It's not on Bivol. Exactly. Bivol. Oh, yeah. So Bivol needs to use that. But, but I do think that him beating Canelo, he... he he deserves that respect of the champion. Sure, being, absolutely. Being the champion. Let, let him, He's the second guy to let, ever beat Canelo. Let him stipulate this shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Canelo hasn't lost a fight in, what, 11 years? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't care if he's a star. Or I don't care if Canelo's a star. I, I, I give two shits about That matters that. in marketing, though. It does. But if you're the champion, get treated as a champion. I, I give two shits. Like I said, I get, I, get, I, I get it, marketing, whatever. But when it's time for the fight, the champion always comes second. Like, uh... Let the, the the challenger come out first, and then the champion. Sure, that's yeah, I get that. I, it's just uh, that's little things like that. I fucking hate about Canelo, and I will continue to hate. I fucking despise the men. I despise anything that Canelo has to do with anything. Eddie's birthday's it. coming up in August. I'm gonna make sure and get him. That's a, like dude. A, that's boxing. A Canelo that's, poster. That's boxing. Though. That's just like the Tiger Woods effect in golf. Like it's a one man show kind of sport. You know, I mean, it's one on one. So, I mean, any anybody who's the big name, it's the benefit of the opponent to face the big name than it is the other way around. So, it really, Canelo did him a favor because still a lot of people wouldn't even know who Bivol was. Granted, Bivol won; he is the champ, but Canelo doesn't benefit off this fight nearly as much as Bivol has. I'm just that's saying that's, that's just how it that's just how it is in one one man sports like Tiger Woods. Everyone, no matter where Tiger Woods places, if he's in the tournament, it benefits every single golfer in that tournament. You know because I mean? let's be real, how many people outside of like dedicated 
boxing fans yeah. knew who Bivol was. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I didn't. I didn't. Now I mean, I'm not even he, a big fan. Now yeah. just because he fought Canelo, more people... More now casual fans. Him. Casual fans know yes. who he is now. And yeah. no casual fans will now want to watch this fight as of opposed course. to the first time. Because they know, beat him. And now we know Canelo got exposed for who he is. <laughs> he finally he lost. He up a weight class, Eddie. He <laughs> dominated <laughs> everybody Stop, in his dude. weight class. He got his ass beat. I mean, he took he his beat, beating like a man. Fraudnello. That's like if Bones Jones went up to Francis Ngannou's weight and loses... He got exposed. I mean, he would have like, fought a guy that's 250 pounds. It wasn't like Canelo got knocked out. All I know is that distance. if Canelo stays in this weight class, it's not going to fit him any single thing. I think I think this is a class too heavy for him. I can respect the... You um, could be right. I can respect but if the... But if, if he beats Bibble the second time, you're going to have to give him as much respect as you're giving him disrespect hey, it's like right when, now. It's like when Conor McGregor went up... I'm disrespected. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Win or lose. I respect Canelo for going up a weight class. That's a challenge. Exactly. Just like when Connor went up and fight Diaz. Okay, what would you prefer, Eddie, as a boxing fan? Would you rather just Canelo just beat a bunch of tin cans that are in his weight class or go up and give himself a real challenge for the first time in forever? He can do whatever he wants. I'm just saying, though, like, you have to respect the fact the man went up a weight class to fight a guy as worthy as Bivol is. And lost. It, okay, but go, the point is, go back now he was willing to kid. risk that. You don't think he Canelo realized like going up a weight class? There's a significant chance he loses apparently for the first not, time in over a decade. Apparently not, because uh, wait till my L. But. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the next question? All right, next question. Now we got UFC. Uh, was it two seventy four? I believe. I want to get your thoughts on obviously fight by fight on, on all those. God. Uh, first, we'll, uh, we'll talk. <coughs> we'll talk about the uh, Rose. Uh, Nama, oh, Nama Junis against uh, Thug uh, Rose, whatever her name is. I can't remember. Oh, Esparza. Esparza, Espar- yeah. yeah. Look, man, I knew this. I knew that Esparza had the number on Rose. I was still confident that Rose was going to come in here and take care of business because Rose has been on absolute tear, just whooping people's asses left and right. She's in her prime. I'm thinking, okay, this is Rose's time to shine against the woman that gave her the biggest fits and actually her last loss, if I'm not mistaken. And then Rose and Esparza go out there and shadow box for five fucking rounds and have the single worst fight in UFC history, and it's not close. It's it was terrible. so bad that Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and I uh, forget the other guy's name. Stanley Tucci. <laughs> he does like Stanley Tucci. But they we're sitting there making jokes about ranking this fight as one of the worst fights ever by round three. The crowd was obnoxiously yeah. booing, and they had every right to. And then Pat Barry... Uh, 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 Rose's freaking corner man, her corner coach, is yeah. telling her, you hearing the boost? That means you're doing something right. And she loses her no. fucking belt, dude. No, it means that you're doing the opposite of what's so right, Pat. So crazy. Like, Chet Congo must have knocked some brain cells loose on Pat Berry for him to give her that horrific advice. That advice was as bad as the fucking performance from Rose. Terrible. Both so she, you managed to lose your belt by not even really getting hit at all. I think there was less than 250 total, total strikes yeah. combined in that fight. It was a joke of a performance. Rose deserves all the L's for that one because she walked into that ring or into that octagon rather going, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best, and then goes lose your go lose your belt without a scratch on your face. You it's embarrassing. Yeah. Embarrassing, man. That was a terrible performance. I mean, if we're, if we're gonna, I guess if we're gonna talk about this one first. There's not much to talk about. I mean, it was but yeah, like you said, a bunch of shadow boxing, a bunch of dancing around, a bunch of. I mean, you could have just played some techno music over that and just watched it like it was like a dance party or something. It was, it was, it was strange. That was not. Thankfully, that was, I didn't watch it. Uh, yeah, not only did we watch it, we paid for yeah, it. So yeah, seventy-five fucking bucks. <laughs> hey, but I'm not gonna let that spoil the card. The card actually overall was fun. That Michael Chandler. We'll go. We'll, we'll go. To oh, okay, okay. I, I don't have much else to say on the Rose fight. There was, okay. Anyone who saw the highlights, if there was any highlights, it was absolute trash. <laughs> 
All right, and let's uh, let's go to the to the next fight. Uh, obviously, uh, we heard uh, Cerrone was not going to fight the, right before the fight. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, your thoughts and reactions to that fight? That fight ended up being great, and I think whoever, either one of those guys that w- would have fought Cerrone, they would have both ended him in the first yes. round. That fight was incredible, and I love what I saw from the Jamaican man because he absolutely kicked some ass in this fight. Um, uh, Chaos is his Latin nickname, I think. Chaos Williams, if I'm not mistaken, and he whooped that ass. And that third was at the third round, Trevor, because he came alive. That first round, it was it was a pretty even fight. Well, Randy, Randy Brown is the Jamaican guy, the long. Randy tall. Brown, I'm sorry, Brown is the one that won the fight. Chaos, Chaos Williams, Chaos is the American. Williams is the one. That, yeah, the, the, but was, I think it was the original fight for Sony, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Brown comes in as the replacement. And wins this fight in dominating fashion, and I think put himself on the map. Man, because not a lot of people knew who he was before that fight. He's fifteen and four. He went, yeah, he went in there and and put on a display on a pay per view. That's a big thing to do, man. When you're making your first impression, yeah, a little bit of John Jones, a little bit of John Jones, Alabama style. Now, now we need to see him face some better opponents to see what he's really worth. But he's already calling out names, man. So I would like to see this guy get more opportunities and more opportunities soon. So I was very impressed by that fight. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the best fights. If not arguably from start to finish, the best fight of the night. Those guys went they went the distance with each other. They were knocking each other around a lot of different ways, takedowns, jabs, haymakers, spinning elbows, kicks. All the, it was you got kind of a little bit of everything in that fight. Um, but yeah, I definitely am sold on Randy Brown. I like his length. I like the, his ability, his confidence. Uh, he was a little too arrogant, like he was even mentioning in the first round. He kind of was like too, too arrogant, like he was kind of overcompensating of whatever nerves he did have heading to the fight. He was kind of a little too arrogant, but he even he he zoned, he, he honed it in and he dominated that fight pretty much from after that that first round. Um, that fun fight, man. Both those guys definitely were going at it, uh, but I think the length of Randy Brown is what owned that fight. He was able to keep his distance and yet still land a lot of significant strikes. Now the next fight, uh, we'll talk uh, lightweight. Uh Lightweight bout, uh, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. I did see the outcome of this Fuck. fight. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I picked Ferguson in this fight because I thought he was the better fight going into this one, and Chandler had been out for a while. Chandler was was the underdog in this fight. Or no, I think actually he may have been the favorite. I'm not I, no, he was the underdog. He was the underdog, okay. Yeah. And it, it, Ferguson had, I think, got a four or five inch uh, reach advantage, taller fighter, He's been more in a groove lately. It was Ferguson's opportunity to really put himself back into that mix for contention again. And then Chandler put all five toes in his mouth and put him to sleep. And that was one of the greatest knockouts I've ever seen in UFC history. That was unbelievable. From a guy who doesn't have much to his game. And and Ferguson is an incredible defensive player. Or fighter. Player. Fighter. He wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, he put it right in his freaking throat. He's like, and he was out. Went to sleep. One of the best. That's, I think it's the first straight kick knockout I've seen since Anderson Silva knocked out Belfort. It, it was wasn't like even 2011. It wasn't even a straight kick. It was like a. It was like, like uppercut. It was like a. Like you're playing kickball. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like a kickball. He, he kicked he up under his, his chin. Dustin it was like Colquitt would have loved him, that like, in their chest. Does, yeah, Dustin Colquitt was giving that one a standing ovation. That dude punted <laughs> his fucking the, head. Yeah, it was for the culture, man. Put it right man. in his lips, dude. Yeah, that Pat McAfee was happy with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was like, yeah, it was for the culture, dude. That fight was. It was a good fight overall. Like those, both those guys were going at it. Best knockout of Chandler, the night Chandler, Chandler, one of those guys is kind of a straightforward kind of fighter. He likes to he likes to throw punches yeah. and he likes to get you to the ground and kind of own you because he's extremely strong and extremely fit. The guy is jacked. He's like a muscle. He's just a muscle hamster out there. Um, Tony Ferguson is the, kind of the all around kind of guy. You know, he's the, he's the the boogeyman. You know, he's kind of one of those guys that's hard to knock out for one. He always bleeds. He always survives. He's like a zombie out there. No matter what you you do to him, he's gonna at least try to go the distance or or get you in a you know 
some kind of submission or, or, or whatever, catch you on a hook. I did not expect that kind of outcome. That was one of the most electrifying knockouts I've ever seen, ever. That that kick came out of nowhere. Even even Michael Chandler talked about, um, he, just, he said he just saw an opening. That was just like one of those instinctual fights. Yeah. Like that's not even like his game. He's not a guy that kicks a lot outside of the, maybe kicking your calves and checking your legs and things like that. He this is literally like a punt. He punted to his chin. Like that was one of those craziest <laughs> knockouts I've ever seen, man. Um, yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Literally, he ages like fifty years with that that kick. The impact alone was insane. Out cold, and he was out for like two straight minutes. They're like, I was like, is this guy gonna come back? He's literally just laying on the well, ground. Yeah, his man. brain hit the ceiling. So yeah, that was it was like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That, that to me that was the that was not only the knockout of the fight, the knockout of the night. That was the oh, there was the only knockout of the night or. Yeah, there was, but I mean, as far as the the this the way it ended, it was the fight of the night. It stole the show. It stole the card. Who would have thought Michael Chandler would have stole this card with all these great names on here? Um, so yeah, kudos Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. That was an emotional win for him too. Seeing his family up there, seeing him get emotional and get the his moment. Um, and is, he's been around for a while, right? He's he's twenty twenty three and seven. So he's had he's been in the in, in the game for a long time. That might have been the moment of his career right there. We might have just saw the greatest moment of his career. Who knows what he does from here? I know he's challenging like Conor McGregor, like literally everyone else was. I think, I think Thug Rose even challenged Conor McGregor. I mean, I will dance with you, Conor. I will dance with you. <laughs> so Conor McGregor's is getting all the shout outs that night, uh, which I loved. I love seeing that. Anytime Conor gets a chance to fight anybody, I'm, I'm in. So yeah, I mean, Michael Chandler stole the show, man, straight up. All right, let's go to the main event of the, of the night uh, with. Obviously, <sighs> former champion uh, Charles Oliveira and uh, Justin Gidge. God damn it! God well, damn it! This was to me. This was the best fight of the night. I know that. Uh, I know that the Chaos Williams and, and Brown fight was great all the way through, and, ty- and 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 Michael Chandler knocked the shit out of Ferguson's brain cells. But to me, this was the best fight because th- from the very let's get it on. These dudes got it on. I mean, there no we knew that was coming. No man. punches pulled, man. These dudes were throwing down, and Gaethje was whooping Oliveira's ass for a hot man, minute. He was putting it on him, dude, yes. and then and he got him to the ground. Like you're thinking, oh shit, Oliveira's dead. he's gonna lose. Like it looked like he was gonna get his ass whooped. He was like for a split second, landing and Oliveira. And, and you know what? I what I loved about this fight is it's a testament and honestly a perfect example of Oliveira's career. Because early on, even Gaethje said it in the pre, uh, the, pre the pre video where he talks about Oliveira used to quit a lot. I'm gonna make him do that again because early in his career, if the fight wasn't going his way, you see Oliveira just just he just cash in and he'd be done with the fight, and he just didn't show interest anymore. But Oliveira got better, and in his 30s now, he's really put it back into, he's really put the work in to become a great fighter in the UFC, because he always had the talent. It was all about his mentality, and he finally put it together, and this fight was a testament to that, because Gaethje, like I said, was whooping his ass, put him on the ground a couple times, he's rocking him left and right, you're just like, oh, fuck, dude, Gaethje's going to win this fight. I even said, I was like, shit, Trevor, you're probably going to nail this one as well, and I was going to have a rough card, because my picks were horrible in this one. <laughs> But he redeemed himself and ended up choking the motherfucker out. To think that somebody can choke out Gaethje. It's the first time he's ever been submitted. Ever. No, no one's ever even come close. Like even Khabib. Yeah. As great of a grappler as he a is, he couldn't, he couldn't tap Gaethje. Yeah. And this and Oliveira did it, man. This is I think this is gonna catapult Oliveira's career. I'm Gaethje's gonna be fine. Because Gaethje put up a performance. He he shouldn't have lost the fight, honestly. But Both. Oliveira capitalized, yeah. saw one little weakness, saw that one little window, and got him. And it was beautiful. I love that fight. I love the way they ended. Because honestly, that card was rough and some serious spots. Rose was the co-main event. 
Rosen Esparza was the co-main event, and that fight was dog shit. Yeah. We needed that fight to be the, the climax and the crescendo, and it was. Speaking of rematches, I want a rematch of this one, man. I, the, That'd be both great. of these guys should have won. Both of these guys did what it took to win this fight. It was a classic. And, and, and Gaethje, dude, and it was one round. One round of fighting. Didn't it feel like it went three rounds? <laughs> yes. It felt like it went three rounds. It was so great, man. Like and it went three minutes. <laughs> every second me and Lance were looking at you, are like, oh, oh. And it was like a different guy each time. Both these guys, the, 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 the matchup was so great, man. Both these guys are totally different fighters. That was a perfect UFC fight. Yes. The perfect They're UFC to fight. Two totally different fighters. Gaethje was just... That just gives that just shows you the chin of Oliveira. Both these guys, they both were rocking each other at moments. But Gaethje was put... Because Gaethje is one of the most heavy-handed guys in this in this league right so this guy can throw hands with the best of them knockout artist the guy he's great at ground he's a wrestler background he's an all-american wrestler i thought i thought gaethje had in the bag man he was rocking Oliveira. had Oliveira shook his knees were getting wobbly and then gaethje got shook the last second got and then Oliveira got him to the ground and then got him in the chokehold and it was over man it was over you knew once he locked it he was about to go to sleep barely tapped out in time Ah, I really thought Gaethje was going to take this fight. I thought he was going to knock him out. I called the knockout. That's what I wanted. Didn't happen. Oliveira is one of the one of the greats of our time. He's thirty three and eight. The guy's been around for a long time. Gaethje's still. They're both. They're both. You know, mid thirty guys. So they're both going to have a few more really great fights in their career left. Um, but I really wanted to see Gaethje pull that one out, man. I, I he needed that. But they both needed that, and I, I would I would love. I think any UFC fan would love to see a rematch of that. If they if we can get that. Sample size of what happened in that first round for maybe three rounds, man. Yeah, that would be a great fight. So I think the yeah. UFC needs to do us all a favor and uh, and hold this. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that. Redo that fight. Yeah. Rematch that. Yeah, rematch, rematch that L. That. <laughs> all right, man. Next question. All right, we're going into the NBA now. Um, I don't. I didn't know how to word this question, uh, but do you think? The Grizzlies can perform better without Morant, or do you think that Morant is that boost that the Grizzlies need or needed? <clears throat> so you guys remember the 2019 season when Kawhi Leonard went to the Raptors, and obviously Kawhi Leonard was their best player, and he was what got them over the edge and ultimately got them to win the finals. But that season, the Raptors were 17-5 and without Kawhi. So people were thinking, oh, are they a better team without Kawhi? No. But are they a capable team without Kawhi? Yes. Now, I know the statistics show that the Grizzlies statistically were better without John Morant. Mm. But if John Morant would have been injured in this series, this series is still going. Because they had a winning record in this series with John Morant. Yeah. Yeah. So, although, yes, they are still a very capable team... They obviously got exited because John Morant got hurt. And to be honest with you, I think the Grizzlies matched up beautifully with the, the Warriors so well that I think if that went to a Game 7, I think the Grizzlies win the series. Because they, to me, were the better team in this series. It's just they dealt with more severe injuries. So to answer your question, no. I think the Grizzlies just showed how good they are as a team without their superstar. Because most teams, when they lose their best player, they crumble. Mm -hmm. But teams like the Raptors, teams like the Grizzlies, they have those... Strong foundational pieces around a team that doesn't panic and are coached very well, like Nick Nurse and the coach for the Grizzlies. Two guys that keep their teams very focused and honed in on the goal. Yeah. I think that's why they continue to win with with or without their star player. But make no mistake about it. Those teams are better and are championship teams only because they have their star player on top of what they have. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's a good, well-coached team um, and a good young roster that's hungry. 
I mean, they're they're a good team without John Morant there, but they're a better team with John Morant. I mean, you don't win in this league without a star. You just don't. You do not win in the. Do, there's no team that wins championships or has a chance to win championships if you don't have a star or multiple. Yeah. That's just not how the NBA works. You have to have a star player. Um, uh, and the dynasties that we've seen, the Spurs and things like that, they've had multiple stars for years. You know, you, you build a nucleus, and I think they have a chance to build a young nucleus there. They got some young players like Bain and guys like that, and Jackson and guys like that that are really, really good young players that can be good for a long time and continue to get better. And John Morant. Only concern I have with John Morant is uh, his recklessness, very D Rose type of, of of recklessness to his game. Early Russell Westbrook recklessness to his game. Though a lot of those guys sustained injuries, luckily Russell Westbrook found a way to sustain those injuries and overcome them and avoid them moving forward yeah. in his career. D Rose didn't have that luxury. Brandon Roy didn't have that luxury. A lot of guys like that that just, just did not have, you know, the ability to overcome certain injuries. And I know D Rose is still in the league, but he's not. He's never been who he, who he was before. Right, so guys like that can fizzle out fast. I think I think John Morant has more to his game and 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 can overcome that. And with the sports science we have nowadays, and you know, recovery and things like that for players, he's just got to be careful. But I I definitely think John Morant is a star in this league in the making for sure. Um, and they definitely need him more than they don't for sure. Will this Grizzlies team be back next year? Yeah, they, yes, absolutely. Now, this is two huge. Trevor's they point, though, this year, I think. Yeah. To Trevor's point, though, I do think that there is something to it about. And now, John Moran didn't tear his ACL, have any ligament damage like like Derrick Rose did early. It's he hips. had a bone bruise. It, it, you know, it's, it's little things here and there, but he did miss twenty five regular season games. He had the hip injury. Yeah, he had the yeah. hip injury, and then he missed three playoff games. So. I'm worried about him, yeah. but if he stays healthy, that Grizzlies team could contend for the West. They're that good, um, and I think that they have the right nucleus in place for the, at least now. Now contracts and stuff will change that as time goes on. Might have on. one of the better coaches moving forward and, too. And, yeah, and Memphis hasn't been a great destination for free agents, but if John Morant can put together a couple really profound years at an MVP level, then I do think it becomes more of a tr- an attractive place. I, more, I'm not saying it will become the place, yeah. but it become more attractive because he is one of those newly found stars in the league. But his value is, is in question because, like I said, he missed 25 games this season. I think they had, what, the, the second or third seed in the West, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that team moves forward. But I like their trajectory. I like the way this team is going. And I do think they will 100% be a top five to six seed in the West next season. Yeah, just like the Pelicans, I think both those teams have their you know good young roster still. I yeah. think both those teams, depending on what happens with Zion Williamson, if he's a Pelican, he's probably not going to be. I don't know where he's going to go or if he's even going to be in the NBA anymore. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, he's got to put the burgers down. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I I think I like I like the Pelicans, and I like I like those two teams that fought to get their way into the postseason this year. I think they both proved a lot. I think the addition for the Pelicans to go get a, a um, uh, what's his name from the the Blazers, um, uh, McCollum, McCollum, yeah, that drew a blank. McCollum was a great addition, good uh, veteran leadership. So I think him being there another off season and, and building off that, you know, with uh, Ingram and some other good players there, I think they have something to build on there as well. Um, and I think they're a threat. I mean, they brought it to the Lakers multiple times yeah. this year. You know, granted, the Lakers weren't a great roster, but they, they play well against good teams. Yeah. They really do. They compete really, really well. Um, and with the Warriors possibly on their way out, too, I know we're seeing this is kind of towards the end of the Warriors run. Steph Curry's getting a little older. Draymond, who knows what's going to be. Clay, who knows if they're going to move on from Clay, possibly. Who knows what's going to happen with that. Um, there's a lot of things in flux in the West, for sure. Uh, and I, th- I definitely think um, the Grizzlies could be that young team to kind of rise. Uh, I don't really believe that yet, uh, but I do like those two teams. I like the, I like the the Grizzlies and um, 
Timberwolves are still a team there too. I think to kind of that was a great series between those the, the Grizz and the Timberwolves. So I think the Timberwolves are still a team. The, I can't really believe in them yet because they don't have a true leader in that team. If we're being honest, I know Carl Anthony Towns is supposed, supposed to be the leader, but he, to me, he just doesn't have it up here to be that guy. I just don't. I, he's kind of shown that he kind of loses his cool too often to be that leader. Um, I think the future of the West is the Mavericks. Um, that's just me. But yeah, I think I think I definitely think the Grizzlies and John Morant have massive star potential to be a team that's going to be in the mix of the fourth and five, fifth seed every year moving forward for a while. And uh, we have a comment that said, uh, so James Kirk, uh, imagine moving LeBron uh, over there talking about the Grizzlies. No. Well, moving LeBron, period, is, is, is franchise suicide. I don't care how old he is. But, yes, entertaining the thought of – LeBron and John Morant playing together. I don't like that mix, though. I, I I would I would love it because LeBron had tons of success with a player that played at a similar play uh, offensive play like Dwayne Wade and John Morant, a slasher guys that like to get to the bucket, and finish at the bucket. That was more of Dwayne Wade's game. He was never a great shooter. They're very different players in my. No, mind. I'm saying guys that both slash to the bucket. That's what that's what Dwayne Wade was, and that's what John Morant is. So I think that although they have different they have different styles and how they get to the bucket, LeBron had a lot of success with a guy like that. Even Kyrie Irving, who's a great shooter, was a guy that love to finish in the bucket as well a great finisher of the bucket maybe the greatest guard finisher at the bucket ever so i think guys like that lebron here let's be real lebron has success with everybody i mean let's let's be honest he's won a championship with every team he's ever played with mm -hmm. so there's always going to be different styles and things like that but i think i have a hard time believing that if lebron was to go to the grizzlies today they wouldn't be one of the five favorites to win the title next season mm -hmm. so yes to james's uh statement i i agree with that imagine that would be awesome, but I mean, yeah. Any team LeBron goes to, he, he automatically makes the team better. That's he's that's you can't deny that he's yeah. proven that he's won a championship every single team he's gone to. Like that, that you can't really deny that. Um, I just I don't like the idea of the two them two. I don't think because Jaw's such a ball dominant guard. You take the ball out of his hands, he might lose his luster a little bit. D Wade was a guy that can come in and play inside of LeBron's system, and he was a very good defender first player, and he was a great slasher for sure. He was great at that, and he was good at creating the ball, you know getting buckets on his own. He was but he was a dominant mid range shooter, very good fadeaway. John Morant's more like I'm spin around you and euro step over you and you know make a crazy circus shot. Yep. that's Jaw's very reckless. I don't know if that would mesh really well with LeBron and I, th I think we've kind of seen that with Russell Westbrook the good thing not is, meshing well the good with LeBron. thing though is LeBron, LeBron at this stage of his career has played more off the ball mm. than he ever has. Oh, last, yeah, yeah. This last season he played off the ball a lot yeah, and he, it actually was great because he averaged over 30 points a game he yeah. became a score. A good three point shooter. Yes and I think Jaw would really utilize that having a guy like LeBron sitting up on the side waiting for him to you know dish the ball over and create another play so I, I like I like the fantasy of that one I, I'd definitely be on board with that. Right. Let's move on to the. I, I'm so interested with with what you're going. You guys are going to say to this. So, is this Luca versus Booker fight going to give us what we want in the future, or is this just a one one time thing? This only this is only going to exist, in my opinion, as it currently stands. And from my viewpoint right now, from my vantage point, this is only going to exist as long as Chris Paul's in Phoenix. You know why that is? Because Booker didn't do shit in his career and didn't lead this team to shit before Chris Paul came there. You know who did lead a franchise into the playoffs and was the man for multiple seasons as an underage player, a young player, I should say? Luka Doncic. So this this rivalry that's happening right now only exists because Chris Paul has carried Book to this point. Hmm. Booker's a great scorer. Let's let's call it what it is. Dude is an awesome scorer. He's a really good basketball player. Top 12, 15 player in this league. But he didn't have success in his career until Chris Paul came around. 
That's not a knock on him. That's a fact. As far as team success, yeah. Luka Doncic. He's had the numbers. Luka Doncic has carried a franchise that otherwise hasn't made the playoffs for about five, six straight seasons into the playoffs on an annual basis. And now has an opportunity to win in Game 7 in Phoenix to go to the West Conference Finals, and he just turned 23. Looks think, 25. And think about Luka's so, path. He's, he's had to face you know the, the Clippers teams on multiple stars. Yes. Two of the best wings on the same team, you know, he and the, dominated that. Both times he got knocked out by them. I get right it. now, Luca is the high has the highest scoring average in playoff history. Yep. Over Michael Jordan, over Kevin Durant, LeBron, LeBron James, James, any of them. Yep. So what Luca's doing, to, in my opinion, the, tra- tra- the trajectory. If the Mavs just give him one other star, yeah. if he was to get a Chris Middleton type player, that team can win the win the finals. But looking at the Suns right now, and as bad as Chris Paul has played four straight games, is it any coincidence to you this is now going Game Seven? Mm. Why couldn't Book lead him? Why couldn't he get it over the hump? They had home court advantage. Why couldn't they get it over the hump in six games? No, it has to go to Game Seven now, and it's gonna be really interesting because now you know the pressure's on the Suns. Is Chris Paul going to have a fifth straight bad game? Can Book do enough? Can he match Doncic's production? Nope, because you know what happened in game six? Doncic outplayed both him and Chris Paul. Scored more points, more rebounds, and more assists, and more steals, and shot at a higher percentage. I so think, can, I they think, out, can they outdo Luka by, by himself? We'll see. I don't think so. I think the Mavericks take this series, and I had them winning this series from yeah. the beginning. Uh, what was the question, though? So, uh, so this Luka versus Booker fight going... Rivalry, is the rivalry. Is it yeah. going to give us what we want in the future, or is this just happening this season in the moment? It's fun right now, but I think I think <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say I think Luke is the future of this league. I think I think this I think his success is going to overshadow Booker pretty quickly. Uh, I think Luke is already becoming one of the most and you, you know love or hate him. A lot of people don't like him because he he has that European way about him. He's very animated. I fucking love it. One of my favorite players of growing up was Mono Ginobili. He wasn't the most. He wasn't as animated, but he was definitely an animated kind of guy to have a different flair about them, right? I love Luka Doncic. I think he's the future of this league. I really do. I believe that. I think he's going to be so good for so long, um, and I think Booker is going to kind of fall under that shadow. I'm not dissing Booker at all. I think. I think this. There could be definitely a rivalry for years, but I don't think it's going to matter as much because I think Luka's going to have that much more success as far as success, like accolades and team success. And I think he's a true leader of a team, and we've seen that. I mean, when they 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 got rid of Porzingis. And everyone's like, oh, what are they going to do? They got so much better because Luka just took off. Granted, he missed some games, some injuries, little nagging things here and there. He had some injuries. He was dealing with the injury heading into this into this, into this, this series. And he's out here dominating them, coming off of a calf sprain and dealing with certain other little nagging injuries. And he's still out here dominating them. They had no answer for him. I think the biggest letdown in this, season, in this series for the Suns is being DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton should be dominating Kleba and these other guys, you know, Powell. Like, these are guys, I mean, these are good role players, but it's DeAndre Ayton, you know? I mean, this is supposed to be one of the premier power forwards in this league. One of the, uh, you know, a, 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 a big that dominated last year, did really well throughout the postseason, was incredible, putting up good numbers. He just has been extremely underwhelming in this series, and they really, really needed him to be that guy. He has not been that guy against Kleba and Powell. You know, like, these are role players, rotational guys that play, you know, traditional big play, kind of play for the for the for the Mavs as it Luke has just been too good for them and I think they finished this series this next game all right last question um obviously we saw the Miami Dolphins post a video on Twitter uh, <laughs> a couple days ago uh, and obviously uh Tyreek Hill came out defended this video so so my question is should we be concerned about Tua and being able to hit Hill in stride. 
Uh, yeah, I think he should be because of the fact that Tua has shown more times than not that he's not a quarterback that is that is known to be accurate downfield or has has the arm strength at the NFL level to put that ball in the places it needs to be for a guy, a speedster like Tyreek Hill. The good thing, the advantage that 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 Tyreek brings to Tua is he's also incredible at getting yards after catch. Yak. He's incredible at it. You can get him on those little bubble screens, and he can create 20-yard plays. Downfield. Yeah, yep. or even further than that. He did that in the playoffs time and time again for the Chiefs. So Patrick Mahomes didn't always have to put it 25-plus yards in the air to get it to Tyreek Hill. But those profound plays that saved the Chiefs a lot of times in the Super Bowl in particular against the Niners were plays downfield. That Tyreek Hill created that space, and Patrick Mahomes obviously had the missile, the gun, to put it there. Mm-hmm. Tua doesn't have that. Now, I watched the video. I, I know what it is, and I, I had my laugh about it. It's a clip. It's a clip. All these other things, and I know what it's. I know what it is. I understand the context of it. But seeing Tyreek have to come out and defend it tells me one thing: that Tyreek knows what we know. This isn't news to him. I think he knew what he was walking into. Now, will it become more real to him when the season progresses and he's not getting those same, you know, catches and throws that he was accustomed to over the last four plus years with the Chiefs? Yeah, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be difficult for him to accept that. But I think it's a lot easier for him to accept that when he's making thirty million a year for the next three to four seasons. That That's gonna definitely help in a state tax or a, a state free, a state tax free state that he lives in in Miami, where he lives on off season on, during the season wherever. So I think that there's there's a lot of pluses for this. I know Tyreek's tweeting through it right now, but. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be rough for for Tyreek. He's not going to be accustomed to you know getting sixty catches a season, you know, for nine hundred and forty yards and six touchdowns because Tua can't get him the ball the way Patrick Mahomes is. But you have to expect that when you move from having the greatest quarterback in the NFL to having the twenty seventh. Right, and uh, I mean Tua is not Patrick Mahomes. We all know that. I think this offense is still going to be fun. I think Tyreek is always going to produce no matter where he's at because if there's a comparison t- to Tua, I mean Alex Smith is a fair one. I think. And he had some really big numbers with Alex Smith. You know, I mean, granted, this is that was this is not an Andy Reid offense either. Andy Reid is extremely creative about finding ways to get the playmaker, the ball in the playmaker's hands. And there's not a better, more dynamic player other than maybe Debo Samuel's in this league than Tyreek Hill. So I think I think Tyreek Hill is going to still have his have good numbers, if not great numbers, again this year because he's that dynamic of a player. Just getting the ball in his hands, like you said, Lance, getting the ball in his hands just on a, a quick slant and he's blocked downfield. The dude can make literally anything happen. We've seen it time and time again with the guy. He's incredible with the ball in his hands. I, I, he may not be catching the 50-yard touchdowns bombs anymore because that's just not really into his game. Um, but just getting the ball in his hands, period, he's going to thrive. Uh, and I think Tyreek's going to be good, really good this year. I don't, I don't expect anything less. He's just so dynamic. Um, I don't think the drop-off's going to be extreme. I really don't. I think he's still going to get so much volume in that offense. Uh, between him and Waddle, those are the, the, the guys in that offense, right? And they're both great at you know making plays with the ball in their hands. So I think that's going to be – I still think that, that – depending on how that defense is this year, that can be a really good team. They could be a really good team this year, and Tyree could be the front man for that, right? So I still think he's going to get his numbers because he's great. Everyone knows. He was great before Patrick Mahomes got here. He was, he's great when – he was even greater when Patrick Mahomes got here. Um, and I think Tua – he's going to help Tua a lot in that offense. He's going to make Tua look a lot better than he is, if we're being honest. So – Underthrowing him, I mean, it is what it is. It's a clip. Um, it's going to happen in the regular seasons. Everyone's going to probably freak out about it. Um, but I still think Tyreek's going to get his numbers this year. I really do. That's it for me. All right. Thank you for the Eddie. That was good, man. I really appreciate it. We went, kind of went all across the board. Yeah. Um, we have, I think it's 
I think it's one more thing, guys, we have to do. What's it called? Hold this L. L. Each and every week, we finish each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Whether they're friendly or not friendly, L's in the world of sports. We promise you, who is ever holding those L's in the world of sports, deserve those L's in the world of sports. Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, Eddie Ortiz, who's holding the L for you this weekend is an F1. That's not F1. It is not. It's fucking bullshit. They were in Miami this past week weekend, so we were just talking about Miami. Uh, but I'm going to give it to Canelo. What? Yeah, see, I kind of like this oh, guy over man. here. Why am I going to give it to he's Canelo? Another, he's going to take another victory lap. Yeah. Look at this yeah. guy. Why am I going to give it to Canelo? Not because he lost the fight. Obviously, we already know he already took that L. But I'm going to give him L for what he said and what he keeps on saying. What did he say? Canelo Alvarez feels he should have gotten the nod, meaning the victory, yeah. saying Dimitri. Dimitri Bivol won no more than four to five rounds. Everybody who saw the fight, we saw a completely different fight. Obviously, the, the ass whooping that Bivol was given uh, Canelo affected his brain cells because uh, <laughs> how in the fuck he saw a victory in that fight, I have no clue. Obviously, the judges had Canelo won convincingly the last round in this fight, I think this would have ended in a draw, being honest. And no way had Canelo won. This this would have been another Triple G controversy kind of thing, where Canelo, uh, where Triple G dominated the entire fight, and then they give it to Canelo. Uh, they gave it a tie at the end because Canelo won the last round. They get and and it was a tie. Mm. So this could have went that same direction had Canelo dominated the that last round, which obviously everybody. Who watches boxing? Who knows boxing? Knows that would have been bullshit. But for Canelo to come out and openly speak out about it, that saying he won the fight, that he was upset that the judges gave the victory to Bivol. Apparently, he doesn't know shit about boxing because, uh, yeah, there's no way. Even if you're a Canelo fight, you can't even defend those words. Because we all know he lost that fight. Ten rounds in, you already knew Canelo had to miraculously win the last two rounds to even have a shot at winning this fight. But and he, 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 he didn't win those he, last he, two rounds. He, he, it was just no, yeah. Mm. So I don't know where Canelo is seeing that Bivol only won four to five rounds and that he won the rest. I have, I, I've literally watched the highlights, the replay. There's just no way for me to convince myself to say, well, I mean, you know, maybe he won the fight. This Maybe he was misjudged on this round. No. He was dominated the entire fight. He was dominated. And, that, and that's, when you, that's when you took off the Canelo yeah. 8 or glasses. You still saw the same thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. I still saw the same thing. Uh, Bivol had Canelo on the ropes the entire night. There was not one round where Canelo wasn't on the ropes. Mm. And obviously, we all know Canelo is usually who has the people in the ropes. Yeah. So, for me, for that reason, for Canelo seeing the fucking victory somehow, I'm still, I'm sure he's still kind of fucked up in the head from that fight. But for that reason, Canelo, you're going to have to do me a favor and uh, hold this L. L. I'm sure it's hard for him to admit it, a loss when he hasn't lost in a decade. So, it's been since uh, LeBron got to his first, it's been since LeBron got to his first, uh, first finals with the Heat. 
since the oh, last time he lost. Hell. So it's been a while. It's been a while. All right, Trevor Twiddle, who's holding out for you this week? All right, so we all know, we all heard the news about Tom Brady's $375 million broadcasting deal. Oh. Um, that's place for him once he's done and retired. Um, that seems to have stirred the pot amongst a lot of talking heads in the sports world, sports realm. Um, a lot of people are upset about it. One of the ones that caught my eye was a guy I used to watch a lot. It was Dan Lebitard. I used to watch a lot of Dan Lebitard. I liked him a lot. Yeah. I liked his show. Um, but he seemed to be a little uh, heated about the whole situation. I don't know if you guys... Let me go ahead and read the, uh, the quote <clears throat> that he actually came out about. One spoke out about, let me say. Starts with, I want the audience to understand how absurd it is for anyone to get $375 million <clears throat> for someone that had for someone that no one has any proof. Tom Brady isn't fun or interesting in front of a microphone. They just gave $375 million to somebody who's never said anything interesting. <clears throat> the former ESPN personality marveled on Wednesday on Wednesday's episode of the Dan Lebitard show with Stu Gatz. It's not like Tom Brady's agent just went to one person with this. He got it up to $375 million. This is my favorite part. Because money is being spilled all over the place with people in broadcasting fighting over all the white legends. That's corny as fuck, dude. I'm sorry. We're gonna, we're, you're, first of all, you're a white broad... Le, honestly, Dan Lebitard's been in the game for a long time. And you're going to talk about people are marveling over the white legends? Listen, this is considered to everyone, damn near everyone, casual, non-casual, most talking heads in the, in, in the, in the realm of talking sports, <clears throat> considers Tom Brady the greatest of all time. Not just quarterback, the greatest football player of all time. The most notable name in football history. Tell me right now if Michael Jordan got a deal to, to, to broadcasting, to call games, to speak during games, how much money do you think Michael Jordan's getting? It's pretty similar, if not more. Yeah. It's Michael fucking Jordan. Is he white? Why are we making this into a race thing? This is what I, I get it, the Tony Romo thing. He, he's paid handsomely, not nearly as much as Tom Brady's getting. But, Tom, but, but Tony Romo's in fucking incredible what he does. He's proven himself. And I don't, look, I'm not going to sit here and speculate the ratio of races, the people that try to get into broadcasting. It is primarily a, a lot of white guys do this job. A lot of athletes are black. A lot of athletes are Hispanic. A lot of athletes in different parts of the world, overall across the world, it's, it's fairly distributed as far as what race plays what sport, who's good at what sport predominantly. It, it is what it is. In this sport of broadcasting, it tends to be a white thing. It yeah. just is. Why do we got to make this everything into a race thing? It's so frustrating. Granted, we know that there is a disparity in coaching. That is a massive problem in sports in general, specifically in the NBA. Well, not necessarily the NBA. More in the NFL than any other sport, probably. Because that's there's been far more controversy in people speaking out about it. That is true. That is one thing. We can have that conversation. We've had that conversation on the show numerous times, and it's been spoken about in the sports world numerous times. This is Tom Brady. Why does it matter what race the guy is? You don't think Tom Brady, the, considered the greatest of all time amongst the sports world and football, he's going to get paid in a ridiculous amount for him to sit down and talk in front of a microphone during football games. How much money do you think Tom, Peyton Manning got paid to do the ESPN thing? A lot of money. Granted, he's not Tom Brady, though. It's Peyton Manning. He's very entertaining, and it is what it is. But Tom Brady is currently still playing, and he's currently admired as the greatest of all time. Like I said, the comparison from him to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is considered the greatest of all time in the NBA, amongst the most the majority of people, probably, I would say. I can't even imagine if Michael Jordan was testing the waters and seeing how much who would pay him what to talk, to do broadcasting during games and call games. 
the money, the the the, the numbers, the the numbers would be probably insane. Maybe even more than what Tom Brady's getting. So, I just think, and the fact that all these people over their careers have glossed and, and, and you know glamoured over Tom Brady and worshipped this guy for years. Now they want to make this a race thing because he's getting paid a lot of money to talk during games. What did you think was going to happen if Tom Brady was deciding to come into broadcasting? The money is going to be insane. Just for people to want to go and listen to Tom Brady talk during games alone, his name alone. I mean, his name just with, with without sports. But I mean, like we talked about, remember when Tom Brady was was uh, leaving the Patriots and we were speculating where he was going to go? Just the namesake of Tom Brady being the quarterback for any one of these teams, whether it's the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, whatever, it was going to put asses in the seats. <clears throat> it was going to bring that much revenue to that franchise. Just the power of, it, of the name Tom Brady and his yeah. brand and the TB12 and all this stuff. And who he would bring with him. Who he would attract other players-wise. You don't think Tom Brady being on whichever on, on ESPN or whichever platform, Fox Sports, how much more traction and, 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 and ears and eyeballs that's going to bring to whatever game he's calling? It's well worth every dollar they're going to spend. Yep. Whether you like Tom Brady or not. They're going to make that within probably his so, first broadcast. That's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about how they're worshiping the white legends. What are we doing, man? I think, That's I think, such a corny thing I don't want to speak for Levitard because I do believe Levitard is one of those guys that doesn't use hot takes to get attention. Right. But I do think that he's an, oppor- surprised. he's an opportunist in this particular situation because he's the one guy that actually found the negative in this. Not right. to take away from what you're trying to no, say. No, no, no. Yeah, that's L. why I was more surprised but by this when take. I heard this news... I was actually on the complete opposite of where Libertar is at on this because of the right. fact that I actually do find Tom Brady interesting. Yes. I, in fact, he's actually a funny dude. I think Tom man. Brady's yeah. going to do an incredible job because he's smart, he's charismatic, right. he has great personality. The reason why we can him in this whole he's never said anything interesting that's is because for 19 years he had to be that way because right. that's how Bill Belichick ran his ship. Exactly, And bro. the moment he got out of that umbrella, what did Tom Brady start doing? He did that funny little thing with uh, Gronkowski when they're feet are in the little pool and they're doing like funny little sayings to each other like how do we talk to each other and all those other cool things and the irony in the Bill Belichick thing you just brought up what is what what, what did everyone love about Bill Bill Belichick we over glorified how uninteresting he was yeah we made that a sexy thing we all right. thought it was so funny how Belichick by the book on the, get your lunch pail and onto go the Bengals yeah. onto the Bengals yeah. onto the, you know, we're on to Cincinnati yeah yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah so it's like you can't have both you can't have your cake and eat it too so that's why I felt this was such a dishonest take from Dan Levitar a guy I love and respect and have loved his show and he's had one of the longest lasting shows yes. on ESPN history he made a ton of money off DraftKings wasn't it was it DraftKings yeah. or whatever he does so, work for oh now? yeah he's yeah. a great gambler him yeah. and Stu Goss both are great at he gambling he made like 50 million dollars off that's, that yeah I actually deal. listened to them yeah. a lot for those reasons and I yeah. love the delivery the unique persp- uh, 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 delivery they have on their show like yeah. I've always liked the camaraderie I've always had a that. problem listening to millionaires talk about millionaires <laughs> you know what I mean like Levitar is a millionaire himself I, and he's just, earned every bit of it it struck a nerve for me because I just yeah. felt that was extremely dishonest to, to, to try to like downplay. Granted, feel how you want to feel about Tom Brady as a person, as a player, whatever. I don't think he's the greatest of all time. That, it, that that's a different discussion. I I do think he's a funny guy. I do think he has more a lot to offer when it comes to this. Obviously, he's going to have a lot to say, j- just like Tony Romo. Those kind of guys are knowledgeable, and they're going to be. I think he's going to be great. Like you said, I think he's going to be great. And at is it. Tom Brady not the most polarizing figure in the NFL? So, exactly. Awesome. So, the money is going to be there. And like you said about Michael Jordan, that's a perfect example. That's a perfect and he's example. a black man. So this is why I had a problem with the race <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like put put Tom Brady's name and Lebitar or whatever. Dan Lebitar, yeah. Next to each other and ask anybody around the – go to different countries. Yeah. Go to different countries yeah. and say, what name do you recognize? I mean, at 44 years old, 
Tom Brady had the number one selling jersey in the NFL. That's like if Leo, led the league Leo, in passing. And here I am defending Tom Brady. That's how bad this take. Well, it's is. like if Messi got got. Uh, uh, they're working on a contract for Messi to start being a, on the broadcast board of calling oh. games. Can you imagine the numbers? Christian Ronaldo. Hey, hey, you know, he's like, white though. He's kind of white, right? So I mean, it's just like I did not. I thought it was so dishonest. To use the race thing with Tom Brady is so weird. Like, this is one of the biggest names and in it's, sports It's based on ever. market, right? It's based on market, correct? Silly, okay. man. Well, then I have a counter to that real quick, and then obviously we can yeah. move on because I know this is your L, I hate. I'm not trying to take no, over. No, no. He's taking over. Who got the highest or the biggest contract in NFL history as a player? Patrick Mahomes. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a little silly, dude. That's that's why I felt that was so disingenuous I'm just saying. and dishonest. <laughs> I felt that, especially the guy of his yeah. caliber, Dan Levitard, who's a who's been in the game for so long. Who's the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL ever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to make this into no, this. No, no, no. You guys know how progressive a, I am about yeah, that's stuff. That's what I'm saying. It's a rabbit we hole. We made entire episodes about this yeah, shit. That's why it's such a ridiculous statement when he came out and said that. We're, we're, we're glorifying the white legends. Right. Like, what are you talking that's, about? That's a, that's a horrific take. Tom, disin- Brady had, Tom Brady got this contract because of him being the most successful it's Tom Brady. individual player in the history of the NFL. So, so, so with the NBA be watching his first broadcast. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, would the NBA be worshiping their black legends because Michael Jordan got a big deal to, talk, to call games? Like, what are we doing here, man? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's such a deep Sha- rabbit hole Shaq to Shaq and Charles, man, they both make over exactly. $10 million a year. Exactly, and that's the best. T- and that's NBA. That doesn't even compare to the Dude, NFL. That, that, that crew in the NBA, the TNT night crew, call them, that's the, best, the that's best. best crew in, in but they, sports. But they cover a, a league and a right. sport that isn't nearly as possible in, the, in America than football. Right. So obviously the market and demand and the polarizing figure that Tom Brady is mixed in yeah. with that is going to elevate his demand. Yeah. And, I, and I honestly, hats off to him. Because the man just got more money on this contract than he made in his NFL career to this point. I'm actually kind of looking forward to so, having having Tom I think Brady. He's gonna be great at having it. Tom Brady doing that, and then having Peyton Manning doing the ESPN thing, which might grow even bigger. You still have Tony Roman there, bro. Yeah, that's what I'm saying it's man. done nothing still but good. Chris for this. Collinsworth, who's incredible at his yeah. job too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you, yeah I mean, yeah, it's and then you have Trey Aikman and, and, and Joe Buck <laughs> for whatever <laughs> reason. That's where. Yeah, that's right. That's a whole other L. Continue. Uh, continue. Yeah. It's so, nine to six. So I just want to thank Dan Lebetard. Who I, I do love and respect and have always liked a lot. It's a bad take. I'm gonna I'm gonna thank him for putting his foot in his own mouth because that was a terrible take, disingenuous and very dishonest. Dan Levitard, do me a solid here, man, and hold, hold this, this L. L. I have a W and an L. Um, my the W I want to get is to a a person and a player that I have immense respect for now because of what he just came out and did this week. Um, the Players' Tribune decided to run an article from uh, Tariq Cohen, the running back for the Chicago Bears, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you guys excerpts or anything like that of this article because I don't want to take away from this article. But I will tell you what it's about. So Tariq Cohen on May 10th dropped an article through the Players' Tribune regarding it's basically a a reflection piece while also speaking to his his young self, his 17 year old self, Tariq Cohen. And it goes into great detail, guys, about the the haunting experiences that Tariq Cohen had as a young man, and he's giving himself advice from about eight, nine years later. And I'm going to be honest with you, this piece broke my heart, man, because Tariq Cohen has gone through things that I have never and never will go through as a human being. Talks about his, his relationship with his mother. Talks about losing his brother and how he wanted to go out and get revenge. And again, I'm not going to tell you guys what this this article said because I don't want to take away from it. I highly recommend, if you guys are listening to my voice right now or watching this video, go right now online. Go to the Players' Tribune. Type in Tariq Cohen, T-A-R-I-K-C-O-H-E-N. 
And I'm telling you right now, you will not have a dry. There will not be a dry eye in the room if you if you say this out loud. If you read this verbatim out loud, uh, it's one of the most touching experiences I've ever had. The reason I'm giving a W to Tariq is not just because of the obvious that he's a man that's learned from his past. He's a man that that has gotten himself through all these hardships and tragedies that he experienced at such a young age. Mm. But it's the fact that he spoke about it. For a man to speak about stuff like this, and trust me when I say this is some really hard shit to read, let alone voice, for him to to be able to articulate it and have it out there and to be vulnerable with the world is something that is so commendable and so respectable. And I I could not respect Tariq Cohen as a man and as an athlete more than I do right this second, and I would have been remiss if I did not mention this on our show this week, the week that it came out. So I just want to commend... Tariq Cohen for being for being vulnerable for being for speaking about the shit that none of us really knew about, and in, and you will see this man in a much different light. Not that he was ever a controversial figure whatsoever. Everyone likes Tariq Cohen. He's a really fun electric player. But to now know this about him, it just it, it's hard not to love the guy. So I just wanted to give that to, to Tariq Cohen. Um, on the flip side, a man that we just mentioned and we all love here, uh, Charles Barkley had some really strange criticisms uh, about Joel Embiid this week. So Game 5, in case you guys didn't know, uh, the, the, the the Heat did beat the Sixers in six games. There's a lot of reasons why. Doc Rivers had a really rough series. James Tobias Harden was atrocious. Yeah, Jimmy Butler and those guys went ham, man. Hey, they man. did their thing. And they and they and I predicted the Sixers are going to lose the series in six, primarily for the reason that I'm about to address. So... Joel Embiid, if you guys did not know, all season long has been battling injuries. And in this series alone, he suffered two injuries. And they both had to do with his with, with his head area. He uh, broke his orbital bone, and he had a concussion on one play. And it was an elbow that I think he got from Bam Adebayo, if I'm not mistaken, in Game 4. Well, in Game 5, Joel or I'm sorry, no, that was Game, that was game 2. Mm-hmm. And in Game 5, when Joel Embiid was really trying to work his way back and become the superstar that he is, he had a pretty rough performance. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he only had about 17 points. Uh, I think he had. I think he had only five rebounds and like two assists. He didn't have that. He had a great game. He shot 58 percent from the field, but he only took I think like seven shots. And he just wasn't effective. He wasn't great in this game. Well, Charles Barkley had some really harsh criticisms to say about him, and I'm actually going to let you guys hear it yourselves so you can hear Charles say it himself because only Charles can articulate things the way that he does. Jalen Embiid is so distracted, in my opinion about his MVP thing, he is, he's not there tonight. He, he got six points, but he's not being aggressive. He's throwing the ball away. I'm like, and I wonder on that team who's going to say, yo, man, you, 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 you the MVP. We knew you the MVP. Now go ahead and prove it. But, Ernie, when you are mad about something, it can work, work both ways. And it's working the wrong way for Joel Embiid tonight. He is so distracted. And like I say, Derek Smith, Rick Mahorn, and Dan Martin, they told me, man, man, dude, you playing like crap. Get your head out your ass and play better. And somebody got to say that. Okay, so obviously that was at the halftime of this game. He, uh, Joel only had six points, ended up with 17. So he ended up scoring more in the second half than he did in the first half. So he tried his best to play as good as he could. But dealing with two significant head injuries while playing a tough team like the Heat on the road, um, I can understand why one would have that performance. But see, Chuck wanted to take it into another matter. He wanted to say that it was the Joel Embiid was distracted by the fact that Jokic actually beat him out for the MVP this season. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe Joel Embiid was upset about that because Joel Embiid, in my opinion, was more of a valuable player this year than, than Jokic was, even though Jokic was insanely good this season. I still have no idea what the fuck we base the MVP off of. But if I had a vote, I would have voted Joel Embiid over Jokic for sure. 
But but it's it's really weird to me that Charles puts himself in these in these positions as if he didn't have very similar issues. Like when he always talks about Kevin Durant, like I, I'm in agreement. Like Kevin Durant was a snake for what he did by leaving OKC to go to the team he couldn't beat, right? Mm. But Charles talks about KD in a light as if he didn't do the exact same things. And it's really weird that Charles takes these kind of platforms. And what I mean by that and how it coincides with this situation is the fact that Charles Barkley had very similar performances in the playoffs as well in seasons he may have or should have won MVP and didn't. And in fact, did it a lot more than Joel Embiid did. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and break this down. In Barkley's career, and his playoff career, he had 27 games in which he scored 17 points or less. He had three games in which he had five rebounds or less, 35 games in which he had two assists or less, and 79 games in which he shot less than 58% from the field, which is what Joel Embiid shot in Game 5. So as bad as Joel was in this game to his own standards, it's odd that Charles takes this, 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 this high point or thumbs his nose at Joel's performance given knowing what he what injuries he's trying to overcome and Charles couldn't do this in a large majority of his games that he played in the playoffs as a healthy player so what is Charles what's his excuse if Joel Embiid has legitimate excuses due to his own health I would be interested to know what Charles would have to say for his own lackluster performances and doing that at a much higher clip because again Joel Embiid, for him to play this bad, it stood out because he doesn't usually play that bad in playoff games. And if he had been healthy, I would have understood the criticism from Charles. And then you can theorize that it has to do with the MVP or him not winning the MVP as to why Joel didn't play that well. But because of the fact that there are two glaring issues, not to mention the fact, I didn't even mention it myself, Joel Embiid also had a thumb ligament issue. He had a torn ligament in his shooting thumb. So he's taking on all three of these measures with an underperforming James Harden as supposed to be his second superstar player. Therese Maxey is trying to become that guy, but he's not there yet. He's still a young player. Uh, 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 Tobias Harris is not playing at the level he should be playing or at least the contract he's got. And then you have guys like Danny Green who's shooting well, but then ends up tearing his ACL later in the series. It's, it's insurmountable for Joel Embiid to overcome, and I think it's extremely unfair for Charles Barkley to put his foot in his mouth once again and try to make a comparison or try to make a, a criticism for Joel Embiid, who's doing literally all that he can to survive in advance in this series, and I think that was really unfair for him to do that uh, to Joel Embiid. So for that, my guy Chuck, who I love and I adore, and I think he's great at what he does, you're going to have to do me a solid and hold this L. We appreciate that. We actually have... I lied. I said we had one more order of business to attend to. We actually have a voice message from our guy Stan Simmons. Oh. I just saw it right now, and I wanted to make sure that we give our guy Stan Simmons his go, platform. He only dropped it a couple of hours ago. And Stan, here is your time, my brother. Hey, guys. What's up? I enjoy listening to you guys every Saturday on your YouTube channel. On your YouTube channel. I'm glad I found your YouTube channel about a month or two ago. Anyway, I want to ask you your honest opinion about Tyreek Hill. Listen, for me, I'll miss the guy not only as a Chiefs player, but a member of that community. I wish him the best in Miami. However, I can't shake the feeling the way he left was a little unsavory. I mean, how many times did we see the slander in every comment section? I know I defended him and his character many times. Tyreek probably didn't need us to do that for him, but for out of love for our community, which includes the Chiefs, we did it anyway. All to just see all that just see him leave for a few dollars more seems like a waste. 
I just get the feeling of being numb to him, and I really don't want to discuss his past and futures anymore. It would have made more sense if Chiefs were a losing team organization, but to leave and go to a suspect team organization? To me, I feel numb and slightly betrayed. What do you guys feel? Well, first of all, Stan, as always, man, we appreciate the voice message you drop us, and we appreciate you finding our YouTube channel and subscribing. We hope that everybody does that as well. And if you ever want to leave us a voice message, go to our Anchor app and do that, or you can just hit us up in the comment thread on YouTube. But to answer your question as honestly as I can, Stan, I, I, look, I, I completely understand where you're fr coming from because that's where I was when this initially took, took place. I, I was more so upset more with the Chiefs because I felt like they didn't do enough to keep Tyreek Hill or they weren't willing to pay him. Him enough and in my eyes especially at that time I felt that they should have done whatever it took to keep such a prolific star like Tyreek Hill who's very much still in the prime of his career but on the flip side of this I get from the fan perspective that it's it's difficult to understand why a player would take just a few, a few million more to go play for a much worse franchise with a much worse quarterback but it's always hard for me and I always make this rule for myself I don't tell a man what to what he feels he's worth and if Tyreek feels that he's worth $30 million while also simultaneously a franchise out there is willing to pay him what he feels he's worth, I'm never going to tell him to not go after what he feels he's worth or what another team thinks he's worth as well, especially when it's the same number. And there was a team out there in the Miami Dolphins that saw fit to pay him that money, whereas the Chiefs didn't. And I respect it, and I think that although it sucks, and trust me when I say it does suck, it's going to take an adjustment for the Chiefs to get Tyreek to get over the Tyreek Hill era or the loss of Tyreek Hill, I don't. I'm not as worried about it. And I I don't want to speak for you, Stan, but I think your when when you see this offense be fluid and they are effective and this team's still winning games, I think it's gonna be a lot easier for you as well. And I'm speaking for myself because again, I've been in that same boat as you are, and I, I want to get Trevor's thoughts on this as well. Stan Stan's question. Stan Simmons had a question mm -hmm. on our anchor app. He he was basically he he was saying that he feels a little betrayed by Tyreek Hill taking a few million more to go to a much much more suspect team instead of staying here in Kansas City and winning. And he wanted to get our thoughts on that as well. And I said basically just. I think the winning is going to cure all. And I think that once we see this team continue to win and be successful after Tyreek, you know, without him, I think that it's going to be a lot easier for us to digest that. And he wanted to just get our takeaways on the on the whole situation. Yeah, I think as a fan, you have every right to feel offended because we're fans of the players, you know what I mean? And and But it, it, there's, there's, two, there's two sides of the story. I mean, the player wanted to be closer to home. The player wanted more money. The, the, the you know, teammate didn't want to pay him that much money because the teammate had the most highest paid quarterback in the league and – the future of this of this league, let alone this team. So there was decisions that needed to be made, and this is a business, but uh, decisions needed to be made from the player as well. He could have taken slightly less money to stay here and be a part of a, a better winning opportunity, but he didn't want to do that. He, he put Tyreek Hill first, and listen, man, Tyreek Hill worked for everything he's got. He had he, he started far behind the line, you know, in this race. Um, he, he not only did he did he start far behind, he had to develop into the player that he is today. He was never this player in the, in the in college. He was never this polished of a receiver that he is now. No one no one expected Tyreek Hill to become what he was when, when from where he got drafted in that day. Um, and maybe only him, you know, saw that potential in him to uh, another. Maybe I don't even think Coach Reed and these guys thought he would be what he became, um, an all time weapon in the NFL. So listen, I, I think I, I respect any fan that wants to feel offended by it. I really do. I think you have that right as a fan to be offended by a player that chooses something else over you. You know, they broke up with us. You know, what I mean, this is we have relationships with these these players. We we build bonds with these players. We won the ultimate goal with Tyree Kill, and he was a massive part of that. 
um, that got us that, you know, the all time goal. Um, and any player you win with like that, it's, it's, it's near and dear to your heart. And when that breakup happens, it's, it hurts more than any other, you know, that having that success and building that bond, it, it hurts after that, the separation t- takes place. So I get it. I get Stan. I felt that initially too. I'm sure Lance, you felt that initially too. You oh, know, yeah. when that news broke, we were extremely upset and not only at Tyreek, but at the chiefs not paying him at the time we thought we could have paid him. But the more the dust has settled, the more, you know, and like you said, winning, if, if we take off and this, this draft class, Sky Moore, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and, and uh, uh, what was the kid, the other kid's name, Justin, um, Justin Ross, if he becomes a player here, if, if, if Juju is a magical fit in this offense and we don't miss a step, maybe we take a step forward in a different way, all of the, all of those feelings definitely go away. You know what I mean? So um, it, it does suck, and it's going to suck. It really is, and it's going to be sentimental for me. It's going to be emotional for me as a fan not seeing 10 on that field, uh, not, not seeing that jersey with Hill in the back of it. Uh, making plays for the Chiefs. It's just going to be a weird thing. I, I think every every Chiefs fan is going to feel that. Um, this might be the most heartbreaking move any Chief, in, 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 that's been that has happened uh, in Chiefs history, as far as the dynamic of what Tyreek Hill was to this team uh, and what, and winning a championship together. So I get all of it. I think anybody's feelings in the matter are warranted for the most part. Granted, if you're like hating on him for something. Uh, that's that's silly. I mean, he made his decision as a grown man. We should respect that as well. So, as a fan, it sucks. Yeah, it it does suck, and I ex- and I expect the fans to be upset about it. Um, you know, but it is what it is, man. I think it, we're, we're going to go on, and we got bigger goals in mind. He wanted the money, he got it. Hey, the kid made it, man. That's that's a success story in life, and I'm all for success stories. Not only is he champion, now he's the highest paid receiver of all time, at least for now, until somebody else breaks the market. But I mean, <laughs> that is a massive American success story, Tyreek Hill. Yep. You know, from what he's come through, what he's gone through, and now he's here. He's in Miami. He's closer to home. He's the highest paid dude in, in the league. Like, it's just, it's an incredible story. I'm happy for the individual. It sucks as, as a Chiefs fan to lose that talent. But I think we will win a lot of games moving forward. We have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. A lot of wins are on the horizon. And that's something to look forward to. But I, I think, I think Stan's uh, stance is warranted for sure. Yeah. All I got to say is uh, players do come and go. So. I do get it. I do get it that P, uh, fans get attached to players. Yeah, yep. Especially when you win rings. Yeah, but at the end of the day, uh, this is this is a business for the, for the Chiefs. This is a business for Tyreek Hill. It's the sport they play, or it's the sport he plays. But at the end of the day, it's it's what's best for him and his family. And I can't blame him for taking more money. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's gonna uh, set his family well off into the future. So. Hmm. Kudos to him. Yeah, and again, just to reiterate, Stan, on the on the business side of this, you know, when you feel that betrayal, remember also, man, that on the flip side of that, when a team also sees that that a player is no longer fit, they're going to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And if if Tyreek was to start losing a step, um, if he was to not be as less effective in this offense, and he was still, you know, oh. the market still shows he needs to be making over twenty million a year, the Chiefs would part ways with him just like they just did where they didn't agree to pay him so even on this current situation the betrayal if you really want to push it towards that avenue where it's betrayal as a fan you should look more towards the chiefs because they were the ones that didn't value the player that we love so much and that we feel is still as valuable as he is so if you really want to if you really want to be angry at somebody and again i'm not going to tell you what to do but if you do want to be angry about something or gear your anger towards somebody it should be towards the chiefs well, and, and cuz they're the ones that made the bet that yeah. says we're not paying him and we're we're going to be fine without him and we got the we just got the biggest haul in draft picks 
for one player, I think. Wide receiver. Yeah, wide as far receiver, as yeah, yeah. a skilled player like that, I mean, one of the biggest hauls ever. And Herschel Walker and, and, was yeah, the biggest. Of course, yeah. that one is just never going to be matched. But we could go from saying fuck you to thank you really, really quickly, depending how this draft class Absolutely. plays out. Right, so not 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 to say we're going to forget about Tyreek Hill because he's forever embedded in the lore and legend of the Kansas City Chiefs franchise, but we can definitely go and say, go from saying "fuck you" to "thank you" yes. really quickly, depending how this this class plays out. Stan, we always appreciate, man, when you drop a drop a line our way, man. So keep For doing sure. it. We always appreciate it. We appreciate all the support you give us, man. It means a lot. All the way out there from the Bay Area, man. You're the, you're the best, dude. So, and for all of you guys, thank you guys so much. I, we've been getting a lot of comments, a lot of subscribers on YouTube. People have been hitting me up saying, "Hey, man, I've been watching on YouTube live." That is what we want you guys to do, man. If you're gonna be, if you're gonna support us, definitely support us on YouTube, man. We also, we also, like I said, you guys can hit us up on our Anchor app as well. We got support there, but our YouTube app is really what we're gearing our our attention to, and we're trying to grow there as much as we can. But you guys are great, man. Our, our the group on Facebook has grown exponentially. The growth is out there. The comments are up. The posts are up. The memberships are up. You guys are killing it, man. This is and honestly, like we don't have an off season here at the Spoken Podcast. But if there was an off season, this would be it. Mm. You know, in the middle of the summertime, you know, where baseball's in full swing, the NBA playoffs are starting to really get towards the end. There's no football, and I know a lot of you guys are football fans, so we have to continue to create content here. And these are the tough times. This there's is the always, dog days for us. There's always things to talk about. There's always though. things to talk about. We don't have games to break down. Yeah. We don't have games to predict. We don't have that luxury right now. So this is the downtime of the year for us, and for the growth to be there, man, we're growing more and more without that. That's a great sign, man. It's all credit to you guys. We want to thank you guys for letting this happen. And uh, we have a lot of support here. And Shaggy and Clay Windler and guys like that are the reason why that continues as well. And we really do appreciate all that you guys do. So for Trevor Woodwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for the great Clay Windler, for Shaggy Shane Williams to jump, jump in and do what he did today. We always appreciate him. I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 167 of the Spoken Podcast is unfinished and finito. And until we're here for 168 next week. We out of this bitch. We're gonna get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned into the spoken. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.